Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast where we dissect, analyze and stinger splash the NWO era of WCW. I am your host, Dave C. But no wolf is complete without their pack. I'd like to introduce you to my co-hosts, Fergus Looney. How are you doing, Fergus? <laughs> oh, the puns, they're coming so fast. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Oh. And Connor O'Donnell from the other side of the pond from Chicago. How are you doing? Good, good, Dave. Yeah, those puns were just too sweet. <laughs> you guys must be pretty happy with this. Spoiler alert, we get Chris Jericho's first pay-per-view match. Both of you mega Jericho fans, right? I'm just elated that this isn't Hogwild. This is an actual pay-per-view, so... <laughs> I don't know. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I am... The first thing I thought when I saw the pay-per-view, I'm so happy it's inside. I didn't know it affected me so badly, but I'm like, I'm so happy it's just in an arena. Hey man, I'm really happy that Tony and Dusty are wearing regular clothes for a start. <laughs> yep. They're actually not complete jokes this pay-per-view either. I mean, they actually do a decent job commenting. In, in parts. In parts. And, yeah. <laughs> and at least they got the VHS cover right as well. Hogan has his black and white now. Yeah, it, it's improving by inches, I guess. Uh, for those of you that didn't know, this podcast's pay-per-view, Fall Brawl 1996, better known for uh, War Games. Dusty Rhodes' uh, brainchild, I guess, if you want to use the term brain in that match. I haven't got to watch too many war games. I, I know a lot of war game stories. Uh, Connor, I know you uh, you wanted to, but didn't get to watch as many war game matches before this. What was your experience? Just talk a bit about this, the pay-per-view overall, building up to this match. What, what did you think? I wasn't sure what to expect, because I haven't really... The only one I've like kind of seen, I've seen highlights from the, the year before, which is a, an awful pay-per-view. This pay-per-view, they really take advantage of the two-ring dynamic, so I was actually pleasantly surprised with how this pay-per-view went. What, what about you, Gus? Have you seen many of the war game matches? Or? I have watched them over the years, but my memory wouldn't be too great. This one is definitely not the worst. They do slightly change the rules of this one, but it's still war games, as Dusty... If you watch this pay-per-view along with us, is very prescient to to point out all of the time how great War Games is, <laughs> almost like he may have some sort of something to do with it. Uh, yeah, vested interest in its yeah, exactly. uh, in its legacy. Yeah, yeah, and the, the Horsemen do a great job of building up like the mystique of War Games as well. It, it's gonna, yeah, it's supposed to be like oh, this we're gonna see a bloodbath. I mean, Art Anderson even says like oh, I booked a spot at the hospital already. I don't expect to use it, but I have it just in case. Because <laughs> we all know that's how hospitals work, right? I can call a hospital today and like, are you sick, sir? No, not really. But I'm feeling like something bad might happen today. 10 o'clock, book me a spot. However, if you could give me the express uh, check-in so I can make sure that I can chime in whenever I wish, uh, that would be great. I mean, this is horseman country, so I wouldn't. they can get yeah. away with everything. Oh, for sure. I, I think, like you said, Connor, as well, they do a great job, particularly with their promo in build-up to the pay-per-view itself with uh, with Sting and Luger. Thankfully, Luger doesn't say all that much. Yeah, more on that later. We'll definitely uh, talk about that one. It's a great promo. Yeah. Before we dive into the pay-per-view, as always, we're going to do a Nitro recap. <laughs> Welcome to the new, new, new edition of the Nitro Recap. We are live as live can be. This is where the big boys play, brother. Chronicling the past month of Monday Night Nitro. So a little bit of housekeeping right off the bat. We have the spray paint count. The first entry occurred last time on the Hog Wild episode, which was the WCW belt. 
let's just say it has skyrocketed since we last left you. I have eight different things spray painted by the NWO. So the two random objects I have being the WCW production truck and the WCW logo from the broadcast desk. And then we have the wrestlers. So we have Mongo, Chris Benoit, Sting, Flair's hair, Barbarian for some reason, and Macho Man. So the NWO, they've been a little active over the past month. They've also added a few more members. We are now at a total of six members of the NWO. The newest member is the mastermind behind the NWO, Ted DiBiase. He's been paying for the NWO promos, providing limos, parties, and negotiating deals with WCW, which will come into play for this pay-per-view. And last time DiBiase has been seen in wrestling was in the WWF earlier in the year. He was the manager of the ringmaster, of course. That man eventually became Stone Cold Steve Austin. I, I fucking love Ted DiBiase. I mean, his first appearance was similar to Scott Hall's. Came in through the crowd, taking a front row seat. This guy's just, it's the perfect role for his character. We don't see him much on this pay-per-view, so I felt this was, like, the best time to mention him. Yeah, I'm a big DiBiase fan. Probably still the best wrestler or whatever. A proper world title run, right? He had the million-dollar belt, and he had the, I guess, the whole angle with Andre, like, stealing the belt for him, essentially. But I don't I don't count that. I, I, I think he is one of the most underrated, maybe, heels of all time. Yeah, he definitely... I'd agree with that. The way he kind of just appears, like you said, Connor, is, is great. He's sitting in the crowd, and he just looks so arrogant and so above everybody in the admittedly southern crowd of Nitro. So he, he just enjoys his role, I think. And he just gets to be Ted DiBiase. There isn't really much of a change in his character... He's still smug, he's still above it all, and he's a good addition to the to the NWO, I think. At that point, it's still working quite well. He just solidifies this group as, like, just this legitimate old WWF guys, and he just, he brings that experience to the group, and I love it. He has, he adds so much to a promo, which we'll talk about in the main event build-up, that's just, it's one of my favorite promos since we started this podcast. But other developing stories I want to go over, Nick Patrick continues his questionable refing decisions, some more subtle than others. One instance where Luger, like, lightly bumps into him, Nick calls the match, Funny enough, Luger and Sting chase after Patrick outside where they see the NWO limo. And Luger and Sting proceed to steal his car to begin pursuit. Not really a moment I see on the highlight reels. <laughs> so the other new members of the NWO, one of which we'll get into later for the main event buildup. The other being revealed during the main event of the September 2nd episode of Nitro. A little bit of context, this is the first Nitro with Mike Tanay as part of the second hour broadcast teams. The main event was the Four Horsemen vs. Dungeon of Doom. NWO stormed the ring wearing the iconic NWO t-shirts being worn by Hogan, Hall, and Nash for the first time. Bob the Brain says it's not worth it, hightails it out of there. While the NWO is beating up the Dungeon of Doom, the crowd pops and the giant comes out. Then we get the less than stellar call from Eric Bischoff. Well, I can see that the Dungeon of Doom and the four horsemen are now together, representing World Championship. Here comes the giant, look out, NWO! Thank God for the giant! Never thought we would hear it. The Giant is going to have their lunch. The Giant is in the building. The Giant! What is that? The Giant! No! No! What is going on here? Eric sounds just like a mix of like Shia LaBeouf and Michael Cole. It's just <laughs> fucking awful. Whoa, 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 whoa. No. <laughs> 
he's atrocious as a commentator. I don't, I don't so like bad. Eric at all. Like there are instances like like we had when they first started, and he details the situation when they attack when everybody gets attacked. I think he's quite good there, but man, he can be fucking awful when he wants to be. And this is one of those. I have a lot more to say about this in general, but I'm gonna leave it to the Giants match. Yeah, me too. I mean, Bischoff, like, he comments on, like, Bobby ruining Bash at the Beach. Like, this is your former champion turning on WCW, and this is the best you can do. It's just... I've seen this on the highlight reels, but watching the whole segment, it's a clusterfuck. A lot of people like his kind of smug, heelish promo work later, and I just... I think even that doesn't come off great. I I think Eric is uh, is kind of overrated as a a talker in general, and I'm not surprised to hear that he's fudging up uh, Nitro's. Yeah, so other things that happen, I mean, NWO takes over the booth. We've seen this many times. Giant tries to cut a promo. In the middle of the promo, Hogan interrupts him, of course. And then the the line that you sh- usually see on the highlights is, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, it's the best thing going today. The NWO. Problem is, like, they're to- completely out of sync. Giant just looks like a complete fool. He misses the, the N and the W. He just goes, ooh. <laughs> his, his attempt at a promo during that segment is so poor. And, it, like, to be honest, it, like, Hogan doesn't help him very much. But it really does seem like Hogan reappears to kind of go, stop that. He's gone into such detail about why he's doing what he's doing and everything. And he's like, hang on, I gotta bust some fools. And he turns back around to to beat up like Kevin Sullivan or whoever it is. And then for whatever reason, like they have a bit of a fight. They just, everybody kind of stops so he can go and turn back around and do his promo again. He's just standing there for like 10 seconds, just like in front of the camera. I'm ready to do my promo. Are you going to cut to that camera yet? Yeah. I'm ready. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. It's, oh. Yep. As I said, while the baseball bat backstage segment we discussed on the last episode, that was kind of like organized chaos. This was just clusterfuck chaos, and it just, it just did not work. So that will conclude our Nitro recap for this episode. Next up, we have Fall Brawl 1996. The first thing before we delve into the match, before we just dive into the matches and the build-ups and stuff, I noticed straight away watching, now obviously we're coming from Hogwild where we couldn't have noticed this at all, but a decent amount of NWO merch in the crowd. A couple of homemade NWO merch, maybe everything is homemade at the stage, I don't know when they start actually selling it at the stadiums or whatever. But there was a lot of NWO uh, t-shirts. Did you guys notice this at all, or was I being a bit too... Uh... There, there's a good section of, of guys in particular. Like It's like early era smart marks who are yeah. like, yeah, it's cool to do this. The crowd is still predominantly for horsemen supporters, though. I mean, this is horseman country. Well, people are cheering every everyone that isn't the face, right? So four horsemen, they're technically the face for this pay-per-view, but we've talked about how they're stable altogether is a problem because they can never be the heels because no one ever boos them. And now we have the beginning of the NWO not getting booed. It's not too bad in this pay-per-view, I think, overall. But they're already gathering that kind of anti-hero fan base, you know. Definitely at the moment. Even still, like, you can see it in a couple of Nitros. It's maybe not as pronounced here on Fall Brawl. But Hogan still gets cheered, even when he's being a heel and being a dick. Well, it was his whole career, right? So Brain says it all the time in commentary. Hogan's not actually ever acted any different in his entire career. But people always loved him. Hogan was always a dick. Thinking about all of this that we've been talking about of facing heels, they have all these recaps in the beginning, and they do like a recap later of the yeah. NWO. Like, do they think the crowd just like they might have like missed things? I mean, this is the day of like we don't have YouTube and things like that. I don't know if Hogwild had anything to do with it. Like, well, we need our audience to know these are the bad guys. This is why they are the bad guys. Like, we they go like into great lengths to showing. Unfortunately, we get the same lame music as from Bachelor of the Beach. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind it. It was just yeah. all of a sudden we get just bombarded with all this. I was like, huh. 
I think it's worse because it's not a very good promo either. It, it's just really bland. Well, anyway, we open the pay-per-view with the average recap by the comedy team. As you guys say, thank God that the Dusty is out of his denim shorts and back into his black suit. Very, very sullen, very NWO are attacking us and it's it's kind of personal and it's time to settle this. And In War Games, and I think they do an okay job as they have in all the pay-per-views before building up the last match and talking about Sting. They talk about Sting a lot and wondering who is the fourth man going to be for the NWO because they officially haven't announced their fourth man for the last uh, match. And from this, we go straight into our first match. We get Diamond Dallas Page versus the first appearance on pay-per-view anyway of Chavo Guerrero Jr. Connor, why don't you bring us through the... There's a little bit of build-up to this match. It's, it's not too in-depth. Yeah, there was. And actually, the commentators put it over too. I'm surprised. Yeah. But I do want to note that this is its kind of weird. This is the first opening match that's not a Rey Mysterio Cruiserweight match. Part of my analyzation of this pay-per-view, I'm like, I'm wondering if this was the correct choice. Probably not, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, I agree with you on this. This is, I do have, I'm like, I don't think I would have started with this. I guess we're, we've just been treated to the, the last uh, the last two pay-per-views have had excellent opening matches. And I'm not a Chavo fan, but this match is fine. But like DDP's other matches, they seem like they could be Nitro matches, right? Definitely. It's kind of weird to see Chavo and not Eddie on the pay-per-view. Because, like, partially the feud is, like, through Eddie Guerrero. So, and sorry, guys, like, I thought Eddie Guerrero was on this show. But I was thinking of Halloween Havoc. Eddie went on a short stint in New Japan Wrestling as Black Tiger. We get the B-rate, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Light. Eddie, Eddie Light. Yeah, the, but the build-up to this match is Chavo's defending the family honor because DDP was just basically being a dick since he lost his battle bowl ring to Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And that was at Clash of Champions. This battle bowl ring thing, it just it doesn't mean anything, obviously. Nope, no, it does not. I, I should mention before we break down the match that for War Games, if, if you guys don't know what the match is, it involves a cage over two rings. One cage over two rings. That means, of course, that this entire pay-per-view is going to be fought in two rings. Just two average wrestling rings side by side. And nearly every match in the card utilizes it a bit. Did did this throw you guys off at all? I kind of got annoyed that every match pretty much tried to incorporate it. Because some people did it in very clever ways. And we're going to go over, especially some of the Cruiserweight matches, use it in clever ways. But some of the other matches, they just did pretty useless spots with it. I didn't really care for it too much, but it it didn't really affect me watching it. Yeah, the, the pro- there's you have to take the good with the bad because there's some awesome spots with it, but then there's some really awkward spots with it. So yeah, I, I, like I, I don't think it really bothered me too much by it, but I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, we should always have two rings. Some of the matches are very static, like they do stick to one ring. I found most of them. I think there's only one or two matches where they genuinely do switch back and forth. This match is one of the ones where they, I think, should have ignored the other ring. I, I think at some stage DDP like throws Chavo into the other ring, like it's supposed to do something, but it. It doesn't achieve anything, and it doesn't really move the action around. It's just, again, use of the ring because it's just there. But the the match is, I think, a really simplistic structure. Chavo trying to get his... Uh, he's trying to fight for his uncle's honor and his family's name. As Connor said, I think the commentators, they tend to do this a lot in Guerrero matches. They just put over the Guerrero name really hard, and they know it's a bankable name in other countries, maybe not necessarily America at that time. And they talk about his family honor and what young Chavo needs to do. DDP uh, plays a good bully role in this. Chavo gets early steam. He kicks DDP out of the ring. He uses a strap at some stage, which I have no idea why he's not 
disqualified for. Yeah, for some reason it's not a DQ. I don't know why. It was actually kind of a nice... It was a spot that was calling back to a previous match because DDP whipped Eddie Guerrero with a belt. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I just wouldn't know why they would they would do it in the middle of the match. Why not like before or after or something? Give, give some heat back. But so, that makes too much sense, Dave. <laughs> it does make way too much sense. Dusty also, I, I noted here, goes wild for the strap because Dusty Rhodes is the king of the strap match. We all know. He loves it. He loves when people use it's, it's one of the only things that gets Dusty to actually pay attention to the match because he spends a lot of time talking about war games in this one. He does spend a lot of time talking about war games. DDP eventually gets the upper hand, classic heelish stuff. I think DDP is pretty good in this. Uh, he's using the fact that he's much bigger than Chavo, and I didn't realize how much bigger than Chavo he is. And he's using a lot of kind of power slam-esque bullying moves, a lot of nasty-looking rest holds. He does a pretty sweet spot when they get back into the ring when uh, DDP is finally back on top. There's a really nice uh, top rope clothesline, I think he does. But besides that, I don't think there's too many spots I can really call out in this. What, what do you guys think of the match? Yeah, there, there really isn't too many big spots. I mean, there's one near the end that's really brutal. I wanted to bring up the fans at this point, actually, because really on the match, you can see two guys cosplayed as Scott Hall and Ric Flair in the audience. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. this. I, yeah. did, I did not notice that, actually. That's yeah. pretty amazing. It must, this is weird. This must have been, like, the first pay-per-view the crowd has seen, like, a Jumbotron, because there's a lot of fans spending time, like, waving gesturing just like throughout the pay-per-view this match in particular though yeah just not paying attention to what's going on there's only really one spot for me i think it's what you're referencing connor which is the tilt-a-whirl yes the tilt-a-whirl powerbomb which looked really really good but other than that i didn't really get into it at all i i also made note of another part of dusty Rhodes commentary saying he really birdered him around because <laughs> dusty knows the name of all the moves <laughs> again giving the commentators a bit of credit they did do a really good job of making it sound like a grudge match like that Chavo wanted to hurt him Brain on multiple occasions said oh look Chavo he doesn't want to pin him he doesn't care if he wins he just cares if he hurts if he takes like a pound of flesh back to his family but then Chavo tries two roll ups and I hate that in <laughs> matches that are supposed to be matches that aren't for titles and are personal and people try roll ups it doesn't it makes wrestling sense but it doesn't make any storyline sense and it happens like twice in the match, which kind of annoyed me a little. It's nitpicky, but... I'm going to get nitpicky too. I kind of wish the Tilt-A-Whirl like, powerbomb was the finish of the match. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, do you want to run us through the finish, actually, Gus? I don't remember. That's how boring it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can call it if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go for it, Connor, yeah. DDP calls for the Diamond Cutter. This is right after the Tilt-A-Whirl powerbomb. He sets up for it. Travo tries for the backslide. DDP stomps on his foot, hits the Diamond Cutter, gets the one, two, three, and that's it. You, you know when that the, the finish is less exciting than the random transition move beforehand. It's not great. I also wanted to comment, I don't like Chavo. I don't think he's a fantastic wrestler. I think he's notably worse than all the cruiserweights we've seen so far. Maybe you guys disagree with me, but I think he's sloppy. I think a lot of his moves, while he doesn't botch them completely, he'll botch the start of them and then just, just about finish the move. You see that with a lot of his uh, Hurricane Ranas, or his, uh, as they call them here, Frankensteiners. They just don't look smooth. He's he's definitely not as, as exciting as a lot of the guys they're bringing in. I think he's fine. He's he's no real gimmick. He's no, he's nothing to go off of. Like he's just a white bread guy. That's but... his entire career, right? <laughs> well, do you remember his uh, his ninety eight gimmick? I'm thinking of the SmackDown one off the top of my head. It's it's not that. Oh no! In WCW, is like a toy yeah. horse. Yeah, the toy horse one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? I cannot wait to get to that. Oh, I'll wait Dave, for that, Dave. Dave, we can't ruin it on you. <laughs> okay, okay. 
This match gets about 13 minutes. DDP gets the win. I don't like that no heat comes back. As I said, I would have liked if Chavo had taken the strap to him after the match or something like that. They seem to be kind of high on DDP. He's not getting, like, a push, but he's winning consistently. He he actually has character development. It seems like they have some confidence in him at this stage. Well, Dave, as you say that, I think DDP needed this victory because he did lose to Eddie at Clash of Champions, and he actually did lose to Chavo previously. But that's yeah. basically the two matches that led up to this match, so I think that's why DDP got the win. Oh, no. Losing to Chavo. He does come across quite well. Like, the fans do respond to him. For somebody who's not, like, that far up the card, in comparison to some of the other wrestlers, he gets a reasonable pop, and they do react when he hits the Diamond Cutter. No, Diamond Cutter is definitely over. Yeah. Any kind of stunner is always over. It, it's, it's, one, it's one thing I do say about wrestlers. I like a high-impact finisher. It doesn't actually have to look if it hurts if it makes a lot of sound and motion. And that is definitely what the Diamond Cutter does. But for Chavo, we won't see him until 1998. I mean, it's like a lot of wrestlers. He spent a lot of time in New Japan in, in 96 and 97. And something I wanted to actually talk about just a little bit briefly. What do you think about this deal with New Japan? We talked about the loaded roster in WCW. I don't really hear that much when I like either read or listen to critiques about like the fall of WCW. Like Obviously, it, it, this brings them in a lot of revenue because it gives like the brand their reach to Japan at the point. But like a lot of times, the talent will kind of kill their runs by taking trips to Japan. Like, do you, do you think that was actually a factor in like WCW not like building new stars? I, I think it has something to do with it. You can see it with even Guerrero not being here for this pay-per-view. You know, he, he was looking good on the last pay-per-view. He got a good row, but uh, from Flair, and all of a sudden, he's just not here. In modern wrestling, this thing has been tried before, and I think in the end, what it comes down to is the Japanese and American audience don't always watch each other's shows, and especially back then, when we didn't have internet, you couldn't just go look yeah, up. I, I didn't know what New Japan was back then, yeah. Exactly. You, you couldn't just go YouTube matches. You know, if it happens today, and it's happened recent, in recent times with TNA have tried it in the past, and even when there is internet and you can just go follow stars, people won't. The average fan wants to turn on a TV channel and see the characters that they've seen week in, week out develop. And this hinders that a lot. It's good for hardcore fans, and even I bet hardcore fans back then, the type that would have exchanged videotapes o- over post would have been fine with it, but the average person would not be. And while it's going to lead to some good matches in the future because of talent exchange, people coming into WCW, I don't think it's worth it overall. I'm not so sure, Connor, that they made all that much money from doing a talent exchange because of the way they they structure their contracts and so on, especially going forward, that some of those guys are getting paid, they're almost getting paid double. But I think it really depends. I haven't seen too many people coming back as of yet like on the definitely on the nitros you don't see anybody who's you're like oh he's works for new japan now i know it comes into play a little bit later on there's not too much of it and the now and i think really what it points out mostly is that they just plan everything really badly like they probably just went oh we're gonna give eddie a push here's all this stuff oh what are we doing with him next week oh well we can't book him next week what do you mean we can't book him next week he's in japan oh all right and then having to scramble to fill time. Yeah, it, it's hard to see, like, what kind of power they have with it. Because I know Jericho, he wanted to go to New Japan because he was supposed to get, like, a big title belt. I mean, this, he talks about this in his book. Uh, and Eric refused to have him go over because they were going to give him a push. Wrestlers actually like going to Japan as well. Like, Jericho talks about just re- rejuvenated his career by going to Japan. On the contrast as well, you can see the other side of it with all the Mexicans. Because they're all pretty much from AAA, from what I remember. So they're all on exchanges. So that's why we get to see people like Super Calo and 
Juve and Psychosis on these shows in the early going before they even sign with WCW properly. So you see kind of the opposite of it, I guess, in the cruiserweights because they they definitely didn't have access to that kind of roster from a, a light heavyweight perspective without them. Yeah, this was something I was not aware of as a wrestling fan early on. So it was kind of interesting to go back and see what, what kind of dynamics this uh, had on yeah. the wrestling world. So yeah, it's it's nice. I think it's great for us now because there's a bunch of talent we probably would have never got to see looking back at these old pay per views if it wasn't for the exchange. But I can't imagine it was actually a great business decision. So moving on, we get a CompuServe uh, advertisement with Harlem Heat, their extremely <laughs> racist manager, who's hassling a guy in between on the computer because they're the heels. That's all I can really tell you about it, and yeah. it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. They do a great job of uh, of advertising their sponsors, don't they? Yeah, yeah. The CompuServe, where you can get bullied by some big guys. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, we then get a Gene Okerlund report about the attack. They call it the attack. Even though they call it the attack, the visual on screen says hostiles take over instead of the attack. <laughs> it's also like, really, the attack is the best thing you could come up with. It's probably the editor going, nah, fuck you guys. This is a better name. I'm just leaving. <laughs> <laughs> the, o- the only thing that I really don't like about it is is how they treat the giant. But we'll get to it. Yeah, we, we will get to that. There's a lot to unpackage about the giant. Uh, we got the second match, which is the end of a feud between Ice Train and Scott Norton, former tag team partners, in very randomly, even though neither of them really have a submission move, a submission match. Well, hey, the Hogwild match they had, it ended in submission. So. Ended, yeah. I, I, okay, I, I can get behind that. I just, it, it always bumps me. up Scott Norton as, like, beating people with his arm bar, you know? So there's there's a little bit. Not not really. <laughs> not much. Not much now, but... This gets about seven minutes on the card. We see Ice Train with a new man- manager, Teddy Long. Yeah, Teddy's kind of just parachuted in in the last couple of Nitros, and I don't really understand that fully at the time. They seem to have a lot of just random managers on staff who randomly get assigned with people. We're, we're going to talk about that a bit with the Conan match actually coming up as well. It seems unnecessary, though I think Ice Train doesn't have much of a personality, and this is their attempt to give him personality, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's just more with Teddy. I'm. It was just kind of more. He just appears, and they don't really explain it very well on Nitro about what's going on. I didn't bother doing research on it. <laughs> yeah, he, well, I just remember because there's like one or two segments. I remember fast forwarding through them quite quickly because <laughs> I don't really care about Ice Train to be honest, and uh, neither does the crowd either because uh, this match is atrocious. Yeah, I, the match is certainly better than their last one. A uh, small note: while the warm up happened to the first couple moves which were just mostly the same kind of hossy things they've done before. The commentators mentioned the NWO was demand list going into this, which I thought was really funny. It was just, you know, it was like their own tag team belts, which I thought was weird. They don't have the current tag team belt. Why do they want their own? Okay. And it was just this list of demands that DiBiase had made up. It felt like just normal Hulk Hogan demands. I feel like Hulk Hogan probably had all these things in his contract already, including a bowl full of just green M&Ms. I guess it made, made it feel like the last match meant more and you need a device because there's no title on the line for the last match you de- do need a device to make it feel more important I guess yeah I mean Tony does like actually talk about the tech team breaking up it, I mean it's a, it's a small notion but yeah I understand there's not much to talk about because like two big guys trying to put submission holds on each other and they're, yeah. they're not the best at tr- trying to put holds on each other so and it's slow and it's yeah. boring yeah I think my favorite comment though from Bobby though is it says it's useless working on Norton's neck since his neck is so huge <laughs> yeah in, in general, I don't like that, that Norton puts different submissions on. 
as in on different parts of the body. Like, the shoulder was something that was key in the last piece of the feud. Why not just a bunch of shoulder locks again, or why not the, Why not keep trying to go for the armbar? It just seems like every time that uh, Ice Train was down, Norton went, oh, what submission do I know? Okay, let's slap that on. There, there was a lot of teases of uh, Dusty trying to throw in the towel for Ice Train. Ice Train, I assume, being the face, so the crowd was having none of it. You mean you mean Teddy Long? I'm oh, sorry. Not, I was like, sorry, did yeah. Dusty appear and I missed it? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That would have been awesome. Would have been way better. I would have paid so much. Just Dusty running down from commentary. We've had enough. Next match, throw it in. <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you remember the finish of this one, Gus? I do, I, don't I do. Believe you if you don't. Yeah, how can you not forget the finish of this <laughs> I, match? I do because I wrote it down, uh, <laughs> just to make <laughs> They go to the end and uh, Teddy Long manages to interfere, causing the ref to, to get involved, and this allows Ice Train to get Scott Norton in his patented full Nelson, of, of all things. To, the the uh, master lock. Yeah, for, for the full... A fucking sub- full Nelson wins <laughs> the match. <laughs> I've never seen ever win a match. You have obviously not been watching enough Chris Masters uh, matches. I, I guess not. I mean, <laughs> he I, got I, a push, man. He got a push. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It's quite a mediocre thing. You know. You know. It's one of those things again that the full Nelson in real life hurts a lot. Like it is a legitimate thing that's banned in amateur wrestling. You're not allowed to full Nelson guys. You can break their neck. It does not look painful in the slightest. No. And Tony at least tries his best to justify putting the full Nelson over and winning the match. Like he says, when someone that powerful puts it on, no way you can't give up. So, oh, okay. I can maybe get on with well, that. The rest of it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nobody cares. So it's just. And, and we don't care. And the crowd didn't care. I was trying getting booze afterwards, even though he was clearly the face in all of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention too, we didn't really talk about the ref had a mic. I know we've seen like I quit matches that. So what do you say? You know, they oh, yeah. sometimes like other matches kind of like bring that into play more. And there really wasn't anything because like Norton just taps out. So there's really no vocal <laughs> submission here. Yeah. In true style, they build it up at the start and then forget it for the finish. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily, this is the last time we'll be talking about Ice Train on the cast. Like we've said, like many other wrestlers, he's gonna appear in the 60 person battle royal at World War Three. But the match is just congested with random jobbers so we we don't need to mention them as the last appearance on the podcast and that's what ice train comes he just comes a random jobber in wcw what do you guys think about the ice train we haven't really seen him much and we won't really see him again so i will say he does a very pretty standing frog splash that is about the only positive thing I can say about the guy. And that's o- that's only comparing it to one of the nasty boys' standing frog splash, which is more of a standing frog fall. So he, he doesn't have a high bar to clear. Uh, he has a big guy style that, I don't know, seems a bit sloppy, bar one or two nice moves, but uh, he's super replaceable level guy. I mean, in our limited time, I think we re- we see him wrestle maybe three times in about three months. So it's not exactly a big loss. I'll be sad. No, I won't, I won't be sad at all. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad he's gone because there's way too many wrestlers in this company. Okay, we, we move on from this into uh, my favorite wrestler's match of the evening. We got <laughs> Conan as the AAA Heavyweight Championship. I think they met, I think they call it the Mexican Championship. Oh, yeah. Mexican most Heavyweight the, title, yeah. 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 Against Juventude Guerrera. It gets about 14 minutes. Mike Tanay actually accompanies the commentary for this, so he's not only doing strictly light heavyweight matches because... I don't think you could call Conan a cruiserweight by any stretch of the imagination. No. And Hoovy's definitely not a heavyweight either for the Mexican title. <laughs> yeah, it's like a wet paper bag at this point. Yeah, he is small. This is the smallest I think I've ever seen Hoovy. He's only like 21 or 22 here, right? Yeah, he's he's super young, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, he goes right down the crapper immediately. He falls over the stairs. Oh, when he's so good. He brains himself. 
it, it might it might be something to do with the positioning of the ring. He just doesn't seem to expect the steps to be there at all. Kamara tries to pan away, but catches all of it. Yeah, they cut immediately. <laughs> they, they try their best, and they just get the entire thing anyway. It's so good. Did you want to talk about how Conan has his new look and new style, <laughs> Connor? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Dave, do you think you can explain this? I, I, did, I I've not watched Snyder, so I don't know when to turn a curse, but he's basically gone full heel. I, I wanted to say Mexican gangster, kind of Mexican yeah, tug. Cholo yeah. style. Cholo. Cholo. Yeah, they, they call it Cholo. I don't know if that's an appropriate word. Is that, a, is that a racial slur? Is Cholo racial? I don't know. He calls himself a Cholo all the time during this. He has the top button of his shirt done, but none of the other buttons. He, he's wearing bandanas. He's Jimmy Hart comes out with him, and that's the only thing that ruins it for me. He has this complete gangster kind of anti-everywhere-but-Mexico attitude, except you got, you know, Jimmy Hart shouting next to you because also he's a member of the Dungeon of Doom now, yep. which makes no sense to... Dungeon of Doom, f- full of oddities and madmen, and a cholo, I guess. This does <laughs> suit him better. It does suit him as a per- person better because he always comes across as a bit like of a tough guy. And now I, I think he's still terrible in, in ring, and I, we'll, we'll discuss that in this match. I, I think this match is actually really poor. But I get the character suits him better, and he does this character for the majority of the rest of his career. He doesn't even change when he's a face. When he's a face from now on in his career, exact same gimmick. He also famously does this gimmick for LAX and TNA and, uh, as their manager, and the three live crew, which is the worst assortment of people in the world. <laughs> but Dave, I, I really want to know what you th- how you think he joins the Dungeon of Doom. How, how he joins? I did not see the Nitros. I assume Kevin Sullivan has something to do with it. He's always masterminding and scheming. I haven't a fucking clue either, because I don't think they explain yeah. it. They, I don't think they do. <laughs> I mean, they do a good job of like telling us why he turned heel, because like, they said yeah. WCW, NWO, they're trying to Americanize him, and he's pissed with that, so he wants to go back to his roots. So that yeah. makes sense. I'm with Gus here. I, I don't yeah. understand where the dungeon came in. There's nothing to take the edge off your gimmick. Like Jimmy Hart shouting "Viva la Rasa!" La- la- Viva la Rasa! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every ten seconds. Sorry, I have a hard time saying that word. Every Jimmy- time the camera cuts to him, "Viva la Rasa!" Viva la Rasa! <laughs> and, and Conan never says it. Conan, Conan is shouting other things. He's too busy dropping gang signs. <laughs> he, is, that, he is not the only gang sign on this uh, pay per view, but we'll get to that a bit later. The, the match itself. I think is a little bit sloppy. This is actually a lot like the first match, but it's given a lot more time. Conan, while still doing like drop kicks and other kind of light heavyweight moves, is the bully and he's doing high impact moves. And Juve is uh, doing the cruiserweight stuff and trying oh. to wow the crowd a bit. Matt, but- I have to, I have to stop you, Dave, because if you like drop kicks and if you like Conan, I think this might be the best match you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because and power bombs. I, I don't know how he, many drop kicks and power bombs are. He goes to the drop kick spot every oh, single time he can yeah. on this match. I lost count with how many times he drop kicks Juve, uh, and it just—it's unbelievable. I hadn't noticed the power bombs so much, but man, is Conan really bad in this? And Juve just is too young and hasn't a fucking clue what's going on. Juve definitely doesn't know how to structure the match, and Conan's giving him no direction. A, a spot I'd like to point out in the early match, Conan ragdolls Juve a bit and throws him out of the ring. Juve to get back in, bounces on the ropes from the other ring, across to the ropes of the ring, springboards himself to the, to the ring and then 
Is, yeah. I think he drop kicks back into the ring. He might do Arana back into the ring, but it's super impressive. They use the other ring a few other times where it feels a bit forced. It's just the whole match is a really sloppy spot fest where the guys don't know how to do a transition. So you can tell they have like, there's way too many spots to name in this match. You can tell they have like 20 spots laid out and they're just burning time in between them to the point where it looks like both of them are walking towards where they need to be without ever throwing extra punches, without dragging the guy, without making it look good in the fight. They just got bored and what things can we do? What, what, what do you guys think? Am I just being harsh on Conan here? No, you're... you're <laughs> damn it, Dave. Yeah, you convinced me. Conan is just awful, and I completely agree with you. I think they just wasted way too many spots, and they try, they try to do too much. That's all it is. The only saving grace and defense I'm going to give as a devil's advocate is that these two guys are Mexican wrestlers, and their style of wrestling is very spotty and there isn't actually as much transitional spots as like american or japanese wrestling would have they do go from spot to spot to spot and it is more let's do this let's do that and not as much psychology going on this doesn't excuse how bad it is like it it's also just a bad match it's not just like oh it's this type of wrestling you just have to get it because we see a much better version of it even to in a couple matches i think that's the mentality that's going on it just doesn't come across very well. Speaking of Mexican wrestlers, too, Tanay uh, mentions that Psychosis has been hurt, and that's why Juventud got the chance to wrestle Conan. I mean, man, I, I really miss Psychosis. He had like, one yeah. of the best matches on the podcast so far. But luckily we see him return at World War Three, though. Yeah, has great match. Jobs for the next month on Nitro's injured. It's, it's a pretty good start for him. <laughs> I, I just wanted to point out, kind of near the middle of the match, the thing that annoyed me most about this match, because some of the spots at least are super athletic. I think Conan pretty much botches every move slightly, but there is super <laughs> athletic stuff happening. <laughs> UV gets a big move done on him, I think it's a power bomb, and rolls out of the ring, and just stays out of the ring. And Conan doesn't follow him, and the ref doesn't really count him, and Conan goes to talk to Jimmy, and then Hoovy just gets back into the ring and hits him. That's it. No one knows what to do. It's like they both forgot the next spot and no one was doing anything. I thought they were going to do something where Hoovy like jumped from the second ring into the first ring on Conan. No, just walked out, walked up to the ramp, walked back to the ring, start wrestling again like nothing had happened. It wasn't even like, you know, heels do the, whoa, I've had enough, I've had enough, slow it down, slow it down. It's like Hoovy didn't know where he was. He also almost kills Conan with a 450, a splash. Like, he just does a 450, is an inch with it, within an inch of crushing Conan's throat, goes, that wasn't enough, goes back up onto the top turnbuckle, and does another weird, like, spin move. If you've ever played Street Fighter, it's like the, the kick move that Ken does, is what he does next. Like, it's, I, I don't I know what the calls it, like, a twisted con plotch something <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah he calls it something on on, on nitro because he does it on nitro a few weeks before that and he completely fucks it up too who we just it's not a good start for him because this is debut match or on pay-per-view i should say yeah it's it's pretty like every move is like 50 percent botched there's very little that just connects cleanly yep so I, let's see i'll go over the botches that i have written down <laughs> one of the track? Uh, excellent <laughs> Of the major ones that I, I guess I kept. Yeah, so Hooventude, let's see, this is my first one I thought. Hooventude throws him to the other ring. Conan hits him while he's between rings, tries to go for his springboard. Frankenstein into the other ring. But like Conan tries to catch him, but there's not enough room. So both wrestlers just awkwardly fall over. And then Hooventude goes for the pin, but Nick Patrick calls for a rope break for some reason, even though like Conan doesn't even touch the rope. So And then the second one I have, he goes for springboard moonsault, but just completely misses Conan. 
And this is just another time Conan doesn't know what to do, so he just gives him another power bomb. And Hooven 2 does this a couple times too. He sets him up for a top rope, her and Karana or Frankenstein, whichever we're going to call it. And he just does, he backflips off the ropes for like no reason. Like Conan doesn't push him, he just backflips off for no reason. And Conan just sits there and then, and then just gives him the drop kick as usual. (laughs) Yeah, that one, that one was weird. I, I thought on the first time that he pushed him. I thought Conan pushed him and it was all a decent spot. I'm like, okay, that's a fine spot. And they did a replay later and he, Conan doesn't touch him. Doesn't even come close to touching him. He's just like, you know what? It would look great. A backflip. People love backflips. Before I go into the botch number three I have, it, uh, Tony does point out that Nick Patrick has done a decent job refing this match. So that was kind of a nice little subtle acknowledgement that he is the ref. And yeah. fortunately, Tony brings it up at the wrong time because Dusty just, he just goes on and on about Nick Patrick <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, they do a reasonable job on Nitros as well, where they they kind of put in when Nick Patrick is refereeing, so you do remember a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, there's that thing about Nick Patrick, and then every now and again he does something, but then like for the rest of pay per view, he or Nitro or whatever he's on, he's fine, and they're like, oh yeah, that was fair. Right down the middle, he did exactly what he should as a ref, and you're like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Nick, apart from. Well, Nick's ever-growing mustache, which is <laughs> which is a brilliant character development, I have to say. He's just slowly developing this evil goatee, as if to foreshadow everything. It's great. Yeah, I, I do find it's funny that they have like a short memory as well. I know it's all trying to find out if he's good or bad, but like Nick, he's he's a good guy. That's a really good call. And the second something's dodgy, he's like, he's the devil. Someone get him. Someone hit him. Man, that's such a mood swingy attitude to have about anything. I have it written down, my my last botch, you mentioned kind of the spinning nothing, whatever he does. At this point, the match needs to end, because the crowd was just booing when Hooventude's like, yeah, I'm going for another high spot, and people are just like, no, please just end the match. Well, what 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 do they call the move at the end of the match? I was trying to think of this, because apparently Conan's using the match finish. It's, it's a power drop, is his, is the name of his power move. Power drop, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's essentially a power bomb from the top rope. He's been doing power bombs and big drop kicks the whole t- time. I don't think this looked much better than anything he was doing. Notably, he like lands on his knees. Conan lands on his knees when he's delivering this finish, which looks like the most painful part of it. Why would you wouldn't you land on your ass like you do for everything else in this business? But anyway, Conan apparently doesn't want to walk into his fifties, and he wins with this uh, this power drop. It's it's just occurred to me that maybe Conan is like the uh, button basher of beat 'em up games in that he knows literally two moves. <laughs> and he just has to keep doing them until either he wins or he loses. Gus, that's what I've written down for my critique of this match. It was a very much a video game type match. <laughs> uh, it's, it's good that we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, it was the match was way too long. Dave, how long did you say it was? About 14. 13, four, or oh, 45. God. Yeah. It seemed way longer than that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Considering that this was only 40 seconds more than the first match, the first match, even though we aren't the biggest fans of it, seemed way faster. This is also pointed out that, like, there's no build-up for this match. Nobody announces this match before the pay-per-view. So this is literally a match that just just appears on the card and you have to suffer through it for almost 15 minutes. My ultimate problem with this, too, I mean, I said the high spots were kind of wasted, but it's wasted in the context of the rest of the pay-per-view because we have two other matches that are kind of cruiserweight-type matches, and it's just yeah. 
it takes away from those matches too, which I hate because if you watch those matches alone, they're they're great matches. Spoiler alert, I, I love the next two matches. Thankfully, the, the next two matches kind of save what's been going on because so far it's a terrible pay-per-view. No psychology, terrible debut for Hooventude. I mean, Conan look and character was improved, but... Dave, you can convince me. His wrestling ability, oh man, yeah, his wrestling what was I isn't thinking? his wrestling isn't great, but at least he has a character now. I, I, I'm getting on his back about writing a character for his whole career, but a lot of wrestlers do that, and he found something that works for him, and he definitely generates heat in uh, WCW. He de- he definitely gets reactions. So we're gonna go to the next match, and they transition straight over to Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho. Uh, so about four years from now, in, the, in a different federation, this will be considered one of the best feuds of the year. But we get Chris Jericho against Chris Benoit as match number four. Uh, my first note of the match straight away was Chris Jericho's entrance music sounds like something from an 80s action movie before things start going wrong. It's a tro- oh, I have it written down here that it sounds like a sitcom of some sort. 80s sitcom. It's, it's, tro- it's just awful. It's great. So the, the cop is driving around town, his happy town, and he's like the cop and it's great. And it's right before his friend's boat gets blown up and he has to seek vengeance. It's a happy <laughs> start to an 80s action movie. But he Perfect. has to do it in his atrocious little mini black jacket. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, all of us are pretty big fans of Jericho. And I, I don't think this is a classic, but it's a really solid match, I feel. I think the match feels very much like Jericho's the underdog, that Benoit is the established, he's the four horseman, no one's coming in and just beating him. Uh, what's Jericho looked like on the Nitros? You said he's only been on two Nitros before this? Only two Nitros, yeah. There's a lot to bring in about Jericho. I kind of wanted to step back because he does recall a lot of stuff in his book that's really interesting to look in. And he talks about his music. I'll, I'm going to get to that in a second of why it's just so disastrous for his character, especially right now. And so first I want to start off with that ben, Benoit actually got Jericho into WCW. Benoit's just been constantly recommending Jericho. That was good enough for ATM Eric. I mean, he's... All right, you recommend him, I'm going to sign him. So the initial contract meeting, he has a quote in his book. Eric says to him, I think you have potential to be our version of Shawn Michaels. I want to bring you in and start off hot. I love to see a Jericho versus Brad Armstrong feud. (laughs) So as you can see, a bit of a mixed message from the start, but having Bischoff on Jericho's side does help Jericho's cause throughout his career since the Booker's... Sullivan and Terry Taylor were not huge fans when they brought in Jericho. Yeah. This was more proof that Bischoff just signs in. He brings in so much talent, as much talent as he can bring in, but he just worries about how to use them, how to utilize them to their fullest later. Just before you, you carry on with what you're saying, Connor, I wanted to ask Dave. Dave, do you know how often Brad Armstrong has been on WCW so far? I want to say... In the time we've been watching it. Once. That is, I believe, correct. I think I've seen him <laughs> once on a Nitro. I was aiming way under. I thought I'd say the most ridiculous no, no, low number I could say. I was nope. afraid, though, you might say zero. I was pretty yeah, scared. It, it's, it's, I'm, I'm running on, it's either zero or maybe one that he's been on Nitro and pay-per-view. To give you an idea of how highly Eric thinks of Brad Armstrong... <laughs> This was a really tough transition to for Jericho to adjust to WCW. I mean, he's coming off of successful heel runs in Japan and recently ECW as well. WCW doesn't help this transition either. Jericho quotes in his book as well. After meticulously choosing heavy songs like Over the Mountain by Ozzy, Silent Jealousy by Axe, my new music was synth-dredged, castrated ripoff of Only the Young by Journey. And I, it's... Oh. The, the song is very similar, but I wouldn't say it's a total cover-off, but... 
It's funny. Jericho says, um, obviously awful music for a Rocco wrestler. That, that's why it doesn't work with this character. But even worse, when watching basketball highlights on TBS, I heard my music play in the background. So he named his music Music Basketball Highlights number 12. <laughs> <laughs> He's also pretty blonde character-wise. We know Jericho, even today, and him pushing out his characters and developing all the time. And this is the most kind of white bread version of Jericho I've ever seen. Yeah, if anything, this is probably why he ends up with such a good character because they give him so little that it's totally up to him to figure it out. I mean, this won't happen till a fair bit along, but he does have some good stuff in 97 and 98. Yeah, unfortunately, we, we do have to wait. It takes him a while to develop it. He will take time in Japan as well to kind of give his passion back because he, he kind of loses his passion in WCW because he's kind of lost for a while. He has a, an atrocious match at World War Three that I'm not going to spoil, who his fantastic opponent is. It is a complete joke. Unfortunately, we're not going to see great things from Jericho for a while, although this match is great. So first, I wanted to note, too, that... Benoit doesn't come out with woman or Liz, which is kind of weird. They do yeah. note that as well, don't they? Yeah, they, they say something about I think they, they mentioned that everyone's preparing for war games. Uh, they, they start talking about Benoit maybe being the fourth man as well. Benoit or Mongo, straight away, Brain shoots it down. And Dusty's like, no, nah, it doesn't matter if you fought before. Like Anyone could be the fourth man. And it's kind of a weird conversation for them to have. I like Benoit coming down by himself as well. I like that Jericho Benoit is straight up just a fair fight. Spoilers, uh, we'll we'll jump to uh, Benoit does win. I don't think it's correct for Benoit to lose this match. Jericho is brand new to the company. This is just a chance for Jericho, I think, to show off some of his skills. Yeah, uh, Jericho tells in his book of how this match was booked. So I'll I'll, I'll ask you guys the question of were the decisions correct uh, when we get to the end of the match. Yeah, Yeah. The, the match is fairly evenly fought. It does feel like Jericho is the underdog, but he is certainly given his chance to shine and do some spots. The first thing I have noted, though, is Benoit kind of does a line tamer a couple seconds into yeah. the match. So I thought, oh, he's just doing a boss and crap. Benoit does boss and crap all the time. Nope, just does a line tamer. So I have a feeling that might have been just a kind of joke between them. Maybe after that, Jericho uses it. I'm not sure if he's used it on TV before that yet. He doesn't use that as a move, yeah. as a finisher for a while. He grabs that move when he becomes a heel. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. It, it is a very good heel spot. My second note of the match is Jericho does his classic springboard drop kick when the guy's on the apron. But then directly after that, he does a springboard to the outside of the ring, which is a pretty impressive move. Camera completely misses it. It's completely focused on Benoit, and all you can see is a Chris Jericho randomly appearing out of the sky. He's braining Benoit. <laughs> It's, it was actually one of the only like sloppy points of the match. Other than that, I thought this match was pretty crisp, pretty back and forth. My, my first note actually was, you know, they face off and they exchange slaps. Like, this is kind of like a typical exchange between these two guys. They just slap the shit out of each other. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if it's just like to pump themselves up. I mean, it's very Japanese style as, as far as uh, from what I've read in the book and other things that I've heard that just like the Japanese style is they, they stiff the shit out of each other to kind of look make it look real, one, and two, just to kind of pump themselves up. The first first word that came when I watched this was intensity. This is a, a completely other level to every other match we've watched so far. And you know it right from the get-go with those slaps. They're there. They're ready to kick the shit out of each other. And they're going to make sure that this happens. For me, watching this, it really comes across as we're two really good friends. Benoit, he's like, I've been here a while. I'm going to make sure that you look really, really good. And it comes across that you are here and you're a legit deal. And let's stiff the shit out of each other because we know what we can get away with and they do and they do lots and lots of maneuvers to 
put across that point. There's one spot I really want to point out because I think it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Jericho goes to give Chris a suplex near the ropes. Chris slips out the back and lands on the apron. Then Chris grabs Jericho's back for a belly-to-back suplex. And like the million matches I've seen before, this, I'm like, he's not going to belly-to-back suplex him to the outside. That's moronic. This is going to be a reversal and Chris is going to get like stunned onto the ropes. Like happens every time. Benoit belly-to-back suplexes Jericho right out of the ring. It is the stupidest thing I've ever seen that can go wrong in so many ways. And it's just a random kind of transition thing to get them out of the ring for a while. This is WCW. This is something I was going to mention in the Ray uh, match coming up. But there's still not adequate kind of padding outside. And the guardrails are still just normal guardrails. And that leaves a lot to be desired for guys that are doing more than just throwing punches in the ring. So it looked like it hurt loads. What did you guys think of this spot? It's dumb. It happens a lot more in Japanese wrestling. That's where you'll find it because guys are, well psycho over there to put it bluntly like i said it's it, they're intense and i think they're just trying to put over the, each other and they're yeah. trying to show how far they go like i mean there's a guy who did a diving headbutt as a finisher for a long time but that, that, that was my other note chris busts out the diving headbutt about the halfway mark of this match and just gets a two count the diving headbutt makes me flinch every time because we know we all know benoit's future we're looking into the past here so it makes me cringe every time it happens because he doesn't pull up he just whacks them with their head right in their chest like every time. And to do it for only a two count, it's not even finishing the match, I think is appalling. But Dave, he hurt himself too much, so he can't... He yeah, can't yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, Gus, yeah. Gus and Dave, I want to ask you this question for Benoit. Have we? Is it established that the Crippler Crossface is his finisher or flying headbutt or anything? Do we know what the finisher for Benoit is yet? No, he's just been using random stuff from pay-per-view to pay-per-view, right? Yeah, he doesn't really have a finisher because they're def- it's definitely not named anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure when that actually comes uh, a part of his repertoire. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm not very well versed in the Chris Benoit history. This is, you know, I'm just used to the end, end part of his career and early WWF days. So yeah. I love the Kripper Crossface as a finish, by the way. Uh, when, when it's done well, I think it looks great and he, he made it look very good. The one thing about this match, which isn't great and it's neither of their faults, is Jericho is so new and unknown, he's not getting any reactions. He gets booed a couple times, too. Yeah, he gets booed a couple times. And Chris gets a couple cheers. The only time the crowd really pops is when they chop the shit out, out of each other. But nothing really else is... Because, Dave, it's, it's flair country. Don't forget. Yeah, the, fi- the, the finish gets a, a decent reaction, though. Yeah, okay, the finish gets a bit of a... It's a pretty high-impact move. I also noted that afterwards, commentary were very high on Jericho commentary were putting him over and saying oh he was able to last so long with Benoit and may- maybe that's speaking of how high they uh, of a regard they hold Benoit at the stage as well but they were they were putting him over so for the finish of this match which I thought was an awesome finishing sequence by the way so Benoit goes for the tombstone Jericho reverses and hits goes for the lion salt Benoit moves clothesline from Jericho two count top rope Frankenstein hurricane around whatever it is from Jericho also gets a two count Irish whip to the corner countered by Benoit Jericho jumps on the top turnbuckle Benoit pushes Jericho and then gets the back superplex, whatever you want to call it, which gets the one, two, three. So Benoit does win the match. Overall, I thought this match was awesome. A little long, maybe, but other than that, crisp pace for the most part. Both wrestlers were over as well. I mean, as you said, Dave, the commentators, they were saying that he's a future star in the business, too. It wasn't just like they were saying positive things about Jericho. They, they, were, they literally quoted future star in the business, which is kind of interesting to, to look back on. Yeah, totally. I I love this match. This is probably my favorite match, I think, on the pay-per-view itself. It really should have been first. 
the, if this had been first, they probably could have yes. got the crowd into it. Probably would have been able to weather the next couple of matches after that a bit better. At this point in time, it, sa- it saves the pay-per-view because if they followed it up with another another match, like the tag title match maybe, we could have been in for a rough, rough night. <laughs> so Jericho said in his book, Sullivan wanted the match to be 80-20 Benoit. So do you think Chris had too much offense in this match? Because obviously Chris is like, fuck that. I'm going to do more offense than 80-20. No, th- this match was perfectly balanced. Uh, as, yep. as, as I was about to say before, you can't have Chris Jericho go over. I know he's your new guy and you always want new guys to look strong. But you've booked yourself into a corner. You can't have Chris Benoit, who's part of a stable that's part of a major feud, lose to someone outside the feud. It doesn't make sense. Chris has also been put over as a big deal in the in the Four Horsemen. If you were going to book this match, I think I would have preferred Jericho's first pay-per-view being against a randomer where he wins. But if you're booking this match to show how good Jericho is, he has to lose, and he has to lose with this kind of 50-50 offense that they had in the match, I think. Yeah, totally. If they'd done 80-20, it would have been atrocious. Yeah, what, what's the uh, point in having Jericho at all if you're going to 80-20 book him on a yeah. pay-per-view? I'd be pretty confident that Benoit himself was probably like, uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> Pro- probably. I, I can't remember if it was Jericho or Benoit yeah. that made the decision, but yeah, I'm sure both of them just like, uh, we can do better than that. <laughs> yeah, let's just do the match that we've done tons of times before and we'll show them, yeah. Can't wait to see more matches from Jericho. I'm so glad he's in the company now. Yeah, and this, I think, is my favorite Benoit matchup to the point. I know you guys were big on Benoit Dean, but I, I like this one better, I think. I think the two of these guys, as as they, they will go on to show in the future years, that they have a much better chemistry. They agree on a way of wrestling at this point on a better level. Like, Dean is a very, very safe guy. Like, he's a very, very good wrestler, but he doesn't take crazy risks or stupid bumps or anything like that in nearly the same way that Benoit does. And Jericho is willing to just go, yeah, fuck it, let's just do it. It benefited them both, but it also, there is the negative to look at it, so. So we, we get straight into another match. There hasn't been that many video packages and stuff. I, I think the pacing of this pay-per-view is a lot better than ones we've had before. But we get uh, Rey Mysterio versus Super Kahlo. For the Cruiserweight title, we get about 15, 50 minutes for this match. First time we're seeing Super Kahlo as well. First ever U.S. pay-per-view appearance, apparently, yeah. Yeah, that's what the commentators say. They get, they get Tanay in for this one again. Yeah, Mike Tanay, he comes in, but his mic isn't working, so that's kind of awkward. And Heenan is trying to improv here because he goes tries to go for the Super Cali Frigilistic Expelliosis. Yeah. Super Kahlo making his way to the ring. Mike Tanay joins us once again. Super Kahlo in a WCW pay-per-view event. Another superstar from the AAA promotion in Mexico, Mike. I do. I knew you gonna say that. You have to. I mean, I knew it. Well, I knew you gonna say that. Yeah, it was just it was a nice cover up, Bobby. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do like that. Tanay explains where Kahlo's name comes from because he's in very weird gear. I'd, I'd recommend you look it up, but it's like a mask, and he has like like a cool hat uh, attached like, to it on the Dave, top. You and say like, cool, but I, I, <laughs> yeah, well, he looks like an indie jobber to me. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Cool is not how I would have described yeah. it at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to describe. I don't know the style of hat, so I just said cool. But it's like, uh, are, are they called kang- like, kangos or something? He's kind of like he has like a military style hat, yeah. which is like black leather that's attached to the mask. He also has shades. Don't forget that are attached to his mask again as material, and it's all 
over this silver mask and then he's wearing like mid 90s crisscross rap gear it's just the weirdest mashup of of stuff like he when i saw him i thought he was gonna be terrible like presumably by his gear i'm like this guy's gonna be a mook surprise surprise he was not he got his name sorry mike Tanay said he got his name from a rap group called calo very popular rap group in mexico at that stage and that's why he's called super calo I don't know. I tried to look up this musical group. I couldn't find anything. There's a lot of artists called Cal. Yeah, so maybe we can find out later. I can splice it in here. But yeah, I'm gonna I have to have a look for that because, uh, oh man, if we can find that, it'd be very, very funny. So this matchup is slightly like the Conan UV matchup. It's a lot of big spots, but their transitions are so much better and smoother that it's actually really enjoyable. Also, some of the spots are absolutely insane. I think Kalo absolutely wrecks himself. He's made it to be the dominant wrestler for the first half of this match. Ray, again, doing his classic and will do it for the most of the rest of his career. Underdog, just absorbing punishment for the first maybe eight, nine minutes of the match. Kalo is not a big guy, but of course everyone's bigger than Ray, so he's playing the kind of bully role. He has this cool spot where he power bombs Ray onto the top rope. Ray bounces off of it and then power bombs him into the ring. I've never seen anything like that before. It just looked oh so painful. Yeah, it, when Ray hits that rope, he's gonna feel it. it that's gonna be pretty bad. Then there's two spots where Kalo is on the top rope and does a drop kick from the top rope to the outside. And he gets up and he's gassed afterwards. And I don't think he's selling. He just looks like he's absolutely brained himself doing this. Then straight afterwards, he does a senton from the inside to the outside. And again, looks like he's absolutely murdered himself. An- another spot by Kahlo again during his dominant phase. He does what I have noted here is a reverse Rana. He, he He's on the apron and he jumps up onto the top rope. And when I mean reverse Rana... Ray is still facing the inside of the ring from the top rope, but Kahlo is facing the apron as well. Uh, sorry, the inside of the ring as well. So instead of, if you do a uh, hurricane run, it's very hard to describe, but it's showing people. They call it a head scissors. Kahlo's crotch is not facing Ray's face. It is facing the ground. So it's kind of like a reverse run. <laughs> I guess it's the easiest way to describe the move. And I thought that looked he- hella impressive as well. The crotch to face ratio. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the clearest <laughs> way we can describe anything. Is this? Oh man, I, I was no. I'm not gonna ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? Do you guys think that we've seen too many cruiserweight matches tonight already? Because it seems like the crowd isn't as into this match. One is this? Is it just because they don't believe Super Cow is gonna win this match? Or is it just because we've we've been oversaturated with these kind of matches already? Because uh, Super Cal like does like a botch power slam, and you can hear somebody in the crowd just go boring. <laughs> Showing a lot of power, Super Calo. Sima. At this point of the pay per view, I watched the end of this match and I thought it was fine. Um, we'll get to that, but at this point, I got so bored I had to stop watching. The show had done a really poor job of setting itself up and because it's it's a bunch of matches that people don't know who they are and there isn't really a reason for why they're fighting or if there is, it's a really crap one 
or they just don't like the people. Yeah, it's just at this stage, the crowd are really crap, I have to say. They're really not into it. They seem to be just all kind of sitting on their hands until they get to the NWO or the Horsemen or somebody that they know who exists. And it really doesn't matter to them what's going on by this point. I think maybe it's not necessarily that they're cruiserweights. It's just that nobody's given a reason to care about any of them. Yeah, I, I do find the crowd pop a little bit for Ray. Again, you're introducing these guys on the pay-per-view that have never been on the normal show. Why should I care about Super Calo? He's doing some pretty cool moves. So did Juve, so did Chavo. And you're giving the Cruiserweight title nothing. Like, I, I do not care about Super Calo. I do not care if he's a heel or face, no matter how decent his movesets and how impressed I am by them. I've seen impressive moves on this card already. So I can understand people getting lethargic at this, which is a shame because it's probably the second best match on this card. You say awesome moves. We finally get an excellent Mexican surfboard on the podcast. Yes, it looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was really cool. And it looked like it hurt. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he did it into a pin. I'd never seen that before. So he let just Ray pass over his head and pinned him on his shoulders. That was kind of a cool addition to the move. I have a specific piece of commentary noted out here by Dusty as one of the rest holds... Kahlo has, it's, I can't remember what they name it, but he's essentially has his arm in between Ray's arms and is holding it with his leg. He's like cutting off, basically. They're like, he's cutting off the circulation to his arm. And you don't see this a lot, the shut on scissors. I, I remember Pat O'Connor had it on me for about 30 minutes one night, nearly ragtagged my arm, and this is a great, this is a, a great example, I think, Iron Mike, of their total uh, uh, capture, if, if you will, of the of the catch is catch can to go along with the, the Lucha Libre thing that you were talking about. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, any, anyone having a submission move on you for 30 minutes, I'd say you're, you're probably going to be... Probably in trouble. Yeah. Probably in trouble. The only quote I have from, from this match is is Bobby wondering aloud, how does he keep his cap on? <laughs> and nobody nobody bothers to answer him. He just, just kind of left there. You're like, yeah. Oh, there, there's also a weird botch in this match where Ray refuses to let it botch. So he tries to do the crossbody to the outside uh, and it doesn't work. But Callow's kind of caught halfway balancing on the top rope. So Ray just grabs the back of his neck and starts pulling him down. But at the exact same time, the referee tries to save Kahlo because he can't see Ray so weird. pulling him down. Why is Randy Anderson doing anything? I, he, make any sense. I think he just thinks like he's in trouble for real. Like he's stuck. Sure. So, so he tries to help him. But Ray's persistent. He doesn't let the ref help him. And just like absolutely hard weighs him over the top rope and just dumps him to the outside. I thought it was pretty, pretty great. Uh, sorry, I have one more. One more Dusty Rhodes uh, piece of insight. Mark down here. Dusty says after a big spot by Ray, yeah, it's impressive, but by the time he's 30, he won't be able to get out of bed. And that is a pretty accurate description of Ray Mysterio's career. It's kind of creepy prescience from from Dusty there. (laughs) I I actually want to go with the spot of the match besides the finish, because the finish is fucking amazing. When they were both on the apron. Oh, so good. Yeah, holding one hand. uh, Ray jumps on the top rope, bounces his legs off the ropes, Jumps on Super Calo, they spin around three, 360, 
and then her Karana to the floor. Yeah. Holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. When they do a slow mo, it looks it just looks perfect, and crowd actually finally make a little noise because of that. I think Kahlo is doing a good job in this match. I was really surprised. I've never heard of him before because I think neither have I. Like yeah. from the video games, nothing. I don't remember him at all. I looked him up after this, and he's kind of just known for this stint in WCW. So I was surprised because he's really, he's athletic. I think he's better than some of the other wrestlers on this card, and Ray makes him look like an, like he's stuck in a wheelchair or something. Like he can't move. Ray's athleticism at this stage in his career is absolutely insane. We'll talk about it when it comes to the finish as well. So the finish is Ray's in between the two rings. Again, the rings are just exactly side by side. Ray springboards off the ring ropes that they're fighting in. There's a backflip into the second ring. Then he springboards on the second ring's ropes, on the, fir- on the ring they're fighting in's ropes, into a Hurricane Rana into a pin. Which, I don't know why it would hurt more than a normal, another Hurricane Rana and finish the match. <laughs> but it was super impressive. It looked really cool. It, it came just after another, a previous Hurricane Rana attempt for the pin. So I guess they're just like calling back to that move. Really, really good finish. After the match, Ray also calls out Dean. And says, I don't care if you're in Mexico or Japan or where you are. I want you or whatever. Come get my... I think it's like something like, come get my title. I couldn't hear it. Because Dusty and Tony were talking nonsense over it. I don't know why WCW does that. Just, yeah. It happens every match, it seems like. Yeah, it's just so uncoordinated. Right after Ray stopped talking, one of them goes, Oh, Ray is calling out Dean. Like, oh, thanks. I could have just listened to it myself, guys, but sure. At least they finally wrestle next month. I think it's next month. So finally that feud can kind of Yeah, yeah they kind of get continue. back into it. Yeah. yeah, that last spot, holy shit. I, I was like, oh, did not see that one coming. Yeah, great use, an actual great use of the ring. We haven't said everything that's happened between both rings so far, but a lot of it has been mediocre. UV does something decent, but most of it is just throwing each other from ring to ring, which has no effect. But this was actually a really creative use of that second ring. Yeah, I wish this match was actually maybe the opener, or I kind of agree with Gus. Either this match or the Jericho Benoit. Either one of these open the pay-per-view have been way better. I think WCW was just trying to tinker with the idea like, oh, let's maybe change up not starting with a cruiserweight match. Because after this, they go back to it. So I think they, they learned that it just didn't work, I guess. Yeah, next we are going to uh, everyone's favorite division of WCW. Fuck the cruiserweights. We get a tag team championship match between Harlem Heat and fan favorite, unfortunately, the Nasty Boys. So Harlem Heat had uh, some of the biggest reactions from the last pay-per-view. We talked about this in depth. I didn't think they could match it, but I think they get one of the biggest reactions, non-NWO reactions from the crowd in this. What do you, what do you guys think? It, it helps having a good uh, intro music so people know who you are, which is a good start. You get pyro too, so yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> you're important. <laughs> they come across as a good big deal. And I mean, they have two managers also. Like they've been given pretty a lot of stuff and they're also quite a legitimate tag team so I think they do a good job across the Nitros as well people generally don't like them they are proper heels I think a part of it too is I think the crowd's just excited that alright we don't have a cruiserweight match anymore we're not gonna see yeah. like a bunch of high spots we know we're gonna get out of this match cool we can get excited about something yeah. different and it's people they know yeah Harlem Heat kind of homegrown WCW team and the Nasty Boy is known for multiple things at this stage in their career so I, I wouldn't ever call the Nasty Boys legends but they're, they're pretty renowned at the, this stage so the feud itself isn't built on much the Nasty Boys get a title shot essentially as far as the commentators build up for this match anyway they're kind of the face heels 
I, I love this dynamic comes in wrestling sometimes because everyone hates Harlem Heat so much. If you do heelish stuff to them, you're automatically the, uh, the faces. The whole match is also kind of centered around that. We get some early standoffs, and it's all the two managers trying to get involved, and the nasty boys being idiots and being distracted, and the brain being way too smart for wrestling and telling them how <laughs> they'd probably have won the match five times if they wouldn't just run after the manager. I am kind of thrown off this match as much as I like Harlem Heat by the fact that the nasty boys are consistently trying to hurt a woman. And I get that she's like being interfering, and but they don't just like try and swat her away or get mad when she interferes. From the get-go, they want to hurt her. They want to get her. And the fans love it. And it's all rather off-putting. <laughs> what, what did you guys think of this? Before I even get to the the manager part of it, Bobby is the one that probably ruins it the most for me because he is so insistent about telling them about how stupid they are, how yeah. they could have won the match. I don't care, Bobby. It's wrestling for fuck's sake. Like, of course they're going to be big dumb idiots because they don't have two managers to help them out. They're the nasty boys. Have you seen who these guys are? <laughs> like, let me enjoy it for a minute when I get to see two dull lumps of men try to batter two other men for a while and see if they can come up and then they get their comeuppance or whatever. I, but, I agree with you with your assessments on Bobby for this match. Yeah. For the most part, actually, for this pay-per-view, Bobby, I mean, <laughs> he was so bad in Hogwild, so I think anything is going to be better, but I thought I thought he was way better for this pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, it's it's only really this match itself. That yeah. It's just he just gets into the mode and he's like, just harps on about how stupid they are. He must really not like them in real life or something. That's that's kind of what it comes across to me. Is like I actually don't like the nasty boys, so fuck them. I'm just gonna give out about them all the time. I mean, they're friends with Hogan, so maybe that's uh, yeah. no, too much into it. All right, too much into it. <laughs> they have very similar styles. These two tag teams, except without being able to phrase it in a better way, Harlem Heat actually do it well. They're both beat 'em up kind of style wrestlers. A lot of striking. Except I think Booker T is exceptional at it. Stevie Ray, I know we disagree a bit on this. I think it's possible. I think the nasties look terrible when they wrestle. I, I think I could honestly put on a better wrestling match right now with inanimate objects in my room. To me, nothing <laughs> that they do looks real. It very much looks like they're throwing fake punches, except when they randomly get weapons and they absolutely nail people with them. Come on, Dave. Pity City is real. <laughs> I, I think if it's okay with you guys, nothing much goes on besides some manager shenanigans. I, I think going to the end is fine unless you guys want to cover some of the spots. Is there's no real spots. All, all I'd want to point out is that it's it's a reasonably solid tag match. Like, it's it's well laid out. It does get put together quite, quite well. Yeah, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it or anything. I, I wouldn't either. There's really not much to, to say. I mean, Dave, I, I said I didn't like Stevie Ray that much, but that was with, like, against the Steiners. I mean, I would take Stevie Ray over the, the, the Nasty, nasty boys. Boys. So I agree with you. Yeah, my only spot, kind of, I would say, or move in this match that, like, really I loved was when the Nasty Boys were beating up Booker for a while. Booker does the, the Rikishi bump, so I thought that was great. Oh, yeah, the, the turned inside out clothesline. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, awesome. Good. Selling, I love it. Yeah, Booker is extremely athletic at this point in his career. He's pretty great. The one note I have here is the Nasty Boys have the coldest hot tag I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, when Jerry Sags hits that ring with a belly full of fire, he does two or three punches before he's gassed and has no idea what to do. It's real bad. There's just no pace to their hot tags at all, and the crowd get really behind them because their gimmick is really over. But I've never seen a tag team handle hot tags so poorly. So the finish, we have Harlem Heat works over Sags for a while, then hot tag 
eventually gets to Nobbs, he cleans house, sags with the scoop slam to Booker, Nobbs with a mediocre splash off Brett's rope. Parker on the apron distracts Sags and the ref. Sherry grabs the cane, hits Nobbs. Meanwhile, Sags goes after Parker. Booker gets the pin. Harlem Heat retain the tag team titles. This match is fine. I mean, it was it was a nice, it was refreshing to have this match, even though it was very simple punch kinky, but I think that's what we needed at this point. Yeah, I, I think I might agree with you, Dave, that maybe it was better to give it to the Steiners the, the month before because this interference winning from Harlem Heat, it just it seems to get a little tiring, even though it's only been two pay-per-views. It does. It's all, all of this, a bit spoilers ahead, all of this is just transition until the NWO can get their hands on like all the titles. But it, it, it was a nice change of pace. This is the most attention I probably paid to a nasty boy's match because i think you guys are right i think there's so much like heavyweight stuff it's nice to have some just a brawl in the middle of it and i I don't like their style but the nasties are fine at brawling and harlem heat are very good at brawling both teams are over too i would say this match was a little bit overbooked though would be uh, one of my other negatives for the match though because what do you think of the match overall it's fine nothing really out of the ordinary i wouldn't go out of my way to watch this match again and hopefully i don't have to watch the nasty boys too much but to be honest, they, they seem to be developing as some sort of like weird guilty pleasure for me because I've liked all, pretty much every match they've been in. Even some of the Nitro stuff has been okay. So let's move on before I think about this too much. So after this, we get led into our Macho Man promo. And it's- oh, hold on. First, first, Ric Flair plugs Fall Brawl t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did forget this. Rick, woo! when he sells stuff I always I just always think it's the funniest he's just wooing so often and I never know what's getting sold to me but it is and the t-shirts look awful they're just white t-shirts with fall they're brawl they're so shitty they're the worst it looks like you know when you go to a wrestling event and people have fake t-shirts printed out in front of it yeah, and they're trying yeah. to sell them to you that's exactly what this looks like I'm surprised uh, fall isn't you know spelt wrong it only has one L, so they can't do it or something like that. <laughs> or it has, like, a truck instead of a tank or something. Yeah, yeah something like this. Yeah, it's a different different thing. You can't sue us. Can't sue us. We jump from our, our selling us merchandise to Macho Man in a pretty Macho Man-esque promo today. Isn't it ironic that the man who has been fined and suspended more than any other wrestler in World Championship Wrestling all of a sudden becomes the savior this evening at Fall Brawl? WCW looks to the macho man, Randy Savage. Now you've blamed the Giant for dropping the ball in the past, and your opportunity is next. It's your chance to shift that balance of power away from the New World Order. Stop the music! we got to take the universe and turn it upside down. Let it happen. Isn't it ironic? Yeah, you're right. Couldn't be more right that I, the evil necessity of the WCW, comes to the plate and guaranteed I'm going to hit a grand slam against the giant. Oh, yeah. Been thinking, thinking, thinking. And the only thing that I can think of is to whip the giant and bring it all the way to Halloween Havoc and then take you, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and do what I do best. Rip your black heart out of your chest. Randy Savage, one thing you have to remember, you cannot overlook the Giant. You can't be looking ahead to Halloween Havoc, even though that's your shot at Hulk Hogan in the World's Heavyweight Championship. You might be right about that. You know what? You are right about that. And this moment in time, I'm going to walk down that aisle 
And I'm thinking that I'm going to take the giant and cut him in half. And he may be only 44 feet tall when I'm done with him. But, brother, it's going to be a message to the NWO that the Macho Man and the WCW will not be denied. Here I come. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of very run of the mill. Macho Man's angry at the giant. They mention that he's angry that the giant, you know, let the company down. But they also mention that the Hogan fight is coming up at Halloween Havoc. They mention that a couple times after this, which kind of ruins the fight coming up for me, that it's just going to be a blow away that it doesn't really matter who wins or loses. It's just an angry guy trying to hit another guy. And later on, we're going to get the actual match that matters. So I, I, I think that's they're doing a pretty bad job of selling this match to me. Uh, I don't think it does too bad a job. We're going to go back to clothes here for a second because, man, I would love to see Randy's wardrobe. Because every single Nitro, he wears something different. Like, it's not like guys today in wrestling and even back then. And Okay, they might have two or three different colors. Randy has a different color every single night. And it's not like just, oh, the the pants are different. He has different pants. He has a different jacket. He has a different hat. He has different glasses. The commitment that he's put into his, just the way he looks, is insane. Which kind of fits him, I suppose. Yeah, I wish he put that commitment into his promos. I don't... <laughs> this promo just did nothing for me. It was hard to hear some of the two, because he does that, like, really shouty, and then I just can't hear him at points. I, I just have to, like, put my ear next to my speaker. I'm like, what are you saying? you you got to measure every Randy promo by his best ones, which are the ones before the Steamboat fight, the cup of coffee in the big time, the nothing but garbage, the one with all the props. He has a series of going into that. I think those are his best promos. Anything below that tends to be shouty nonsense, and there's not much above it, if that makes sense. When he's on point and seems to have something planned out beforehand, I think he's actually great and probably one of the best guys at doing these kind of promos and a bit underrated in those skills, even though they are just mad. They are kind of nonsensical. But this is one of the examples where it looks like he's kind of trying to come up with stuff on the fly and it's absolute nonsense and it's just shouty and I'm going to get him kind of stuff, you know? I, I don't know. I think it's probably just at this point he's a bit of a parody of himself. Uh, <laughs> it's, I think it's more to do with the fact that he may not be doing nearly as much crack cocaine. Because well, ma- uh, <laughs> I, I think more. Re- I think more realistically is what we'll, which we'll note that his contract is coming up in WCW, so he might just not care at this point. They also mentioned that weeks before he's been suspended and the most suspended guy in WCW history, and he's unhinged, and now. He has to defend WCW. It has to be Team WCW. It doesn't matter if you're heel or face or who likes you or who doesn't like you. you got to go fight the NWO. So that is a nice kind of throwback to those kind of things. So now we get into what the graphic tells me is a grudge match. What my brain tells me is a throwaway match that doesn't mean very much to any feud. Uh, Randy versus the Giant. In general, this was just Randy hates the NWO and he needs something to do before he can get his hands on Hogan. Sort of. I mean, this match was announced before Giant made his turn. The original concept was that Macho was pissed that Giant let WCW down at Hogwild, which is kind of like a real feeling because, I mean, Giant looked like a piece of shit at that pay-per-view. So. <laughs> yeah. I actually kind of like it. Macho's like, come on, man. You let us down. I'm a pretty small guy. I can relate to Macho here. You, you, you ever see someone that's a lot bigger than you in the sport and they're just really bad? And you're like, if I was your size, I'd rule the world. This is so unfair. <laughs> I wouldn't waste my talents somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you want to like talk about the giant gust? Like, did you want to talk about it right here, or did you? Yeah, wanna, yeah, like, I'll, I'll talk about it here. So this match and and how it goes down and how it finishes and pretty much everything about it and the run up to this is probably the first big misstep of the NWO and how they've booked everything. Because as we've seen from Bash at the Beach and then if you watch some of the Nitros and then running up to uh, Hogwild, the Giant is treated like the biggest deal in the company. He is this guy, comes out, chokeslams a guy, guy's dead. It's over. He probably could have done the five count gimmick like Bundy used to do back in the 80s and it probably would have still worked. So he is one of the biggest deals on the planet in terms of WCW. So he loses his belt he never really gets to say anything about it and he's never really shown as like oh I want my belt back instead he just kind of hangs around for a while and then we get to the Nitro on the 2nd of September the NWO is beating down the Dungeon of Doom and they're beating down the Four Horsemen and then the Giant comes rushing out and everybody's like oh yeah this is going to be brilliant and like you said earlier Connor Eric does a pretty woeful job of selling this whole moment and he turns on everybody and you're like oh my god now it's not just guys who've come from the WWF this is a homegrown WCW guy this is the biggest deal in their company and he's been built up over the last X amount of months as being basically unstoppable and like he basically never gets pinned he never nothing bad ever happens to him and he's this huge deal and then what do they do the next week they overshadow it they don't really mention it and he's all of a sudden he's just a guy in the NWO and this match really furthers that they don't treat him like he's this unstoppable monster anymore and he's immediately shunted to the back of the group he doesn't get promo time probably because he shouldn't he doesn't really have a say in what's going on and now all of a sudden it's like big happy families and he's happy enough to just take the money and not be worried about having the the world title that he has lost to Hogan only a month before. Yeah, the logic just doesn't make any sense for no. him turning really at all. In typical like WCW fashion, they're, they're guilty of this as we'll go on further and further. When you have a big guy like this, like, do you really want to use up his dramatic turn at a random Nitro? Maybe this could have just been held to this pay-per-view as well. It, I, I think the big problem is that they, they have a bigger turn or a bigger like turning point, I suppose is a better way of putting it, that happens the following week. And he just gets completely overshadowed. And I mean, I haven't looked too far ahead now with what's coming up, but I don't think he's going to play that big of a deal. No, as far as the next month, he's pretty much just kind of a comedy guy, which he's actually quite uh, talented at. I actually, there was some few times Giant made me laugh, yeah, so. They completely destroy him as a character and everything he's built up for. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's it, a shame, too, because he's a young guy, too. This isn't like an old established star yeah. here in WCW. This is a new, new homegrown talent, you know? And he's just, he's just been wallowed up by the older guys and gone, yeah, we'll take care of you. No, we're not. We're just going to make sure that you don't uh, take our spotlights, basically. This is a big... This is the first big thing I'm like, no, I don't agree with this. This is not how things should have gone down. Well, it definitely feels like that, right? That there must have been some politics in or something backstage for this because if the feud had been centered Giant versus NWO for a while, that's a really good first face for the NWO to like wear down and attack because you can believe that he could take on four or five guys before the whole locker room might become, you know, WCW versus NWO. In fact, his opponent, Savage, makes way more logical sense to jump ship. He's a former WWE guy. You know, he he knows the people in it. He's been shunned by most of the WCW locker room. The first night he took all those leg drops and no one came out to rescue him. 
It would make spoiler alert. He does turn at some point. He, yeah. at, at some point, but everyone does at some point. Also I, true. Yeah. I, I think very early on, Macho was the perfect person to turn. There's lots of lots of ways you could go, like or people to turn on the main roster at the moment. There's lots of people with really good excuses. It would have been really interesting to see one of the four horsemen turn and that have that kind of dynamic and really put you know seeds of doubt in people's heads. If anyone could turn at any time. Giants seem like the laziest thing to do for a surprise. And Giants could have had a really good, I think, program with Hogan, where he's chasing the title and Hogan keeps throwing like cronies in his way. There's no point in Giant turning at this stage, I think. I do think that they have the correct story overall, which we'll see in the main event and just before it. That's what they they do get right, and it's very, very good. It's almost like they've gone, well, we don't really have anything for him to do now with the other story so let's just turn him and he can be in the cool group and he'll be there because then we won't have to explain why he's not doing all these things to try and fight back against the NWO it also feels at this stage now maybe they want this feeling to come across as the NWO feels way too powerful right because they built up Giant to be no one person can defeat him kind of guy and the NWO was already kicking everyone's ass in the previous pay-per-views and now they got your biggest threat and turned them into NWO. Who's supposed to stand against that? Now maybe that's the feeling they wanted to come across. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what you're getting at, right? Where you say the overall story arc was was yeah was working, right? Yeah, it's just a shame because Giants sees the new star, and this is why one of the many reasons why WCW just doesn't it it ends up just tanking, just because you have a guy here, you could capitalize it, and you just don't, and because of this, he goes for the WWF. Yeah. In a few years. I was just about to say, like this. I don't think it's any coincidence that he's the first WCW-built guy that jumps ship. I, I, I wonder a world in which Paul White was good at backstage politics. Because as Big Show, very similar things happen to him where he is not utilized, I think, in the best... If you look through his whole career, he's only utilized in a, a good way a handful of times. And anytime he's close to a title or has a title in his career for a while, other people just kind of seem to politics over him. And he gets, like, brushed aside and he's a transition champ, like, almost his whole life. I think a problem with it in general is that, from a broader sense, wrestling promoters' main issue is always going to be, I have to portray him as this gigantic guy. And he has to be this big monster that doesn't feel pain or whatever it is. And he has to be unstoppable. No matter how well you book that, it's still a limited shelf life. Unless you can develop a reasonable character for those people, they're always going to be very limited. They're always going to be in for like three months at a time and then they disappear. The reason why like other guys are better at it, say Andre, is he got to go away for a while and he got to disappear to a different company and he would go do the same run but with a whole bunch of people that hadn't seen him. Whereas Paul is overexposed and is limited to essentially just doing what they say by like turning him face and heel constantly. I think it's very tough to portray those guys effectively and it's kind of more like Undertaker and Andre are the exception rather than the rule. Pretty good analysis of it. It is a good analysis because that's kind of like what this match is as well. It's Hogan and Andre pretty much but probably done a little bit better. They do call back to the to the kind of spot but they do it in a lot faster fashion. So at the start of the match we'll run through it a little bit. Macho has a head of steam and doesn't let Giant even get into the ring. It's just like giving him forearms before he can get in. Giant kind of pulls him out to the outside. Randy is fighting him back, but then loses all his steam when he tries to uh, scoop slam the Giant, and Giant just falls on him. Giant's in control for the rest of the match. 
Rodney gets ahead of steam at the end again. One giant misses with a knee drop, aims for the knees a bit, does a few top rope uh, axe handles, and then gets to big power slam, which is, you know, a callback to the big Andre moment before some shenanigans at the end. One thing I'd like to point out about Giant and why I don't like him that much at this stage of his career is he's still using some very normal wrestling moves he learned. And you'll see in a lot of his interviews later in his career, he says he doesn't realize what being a giant and a big guy means until very late in his career. But he just slaps out a Boston Crab halfway through this match. It looks ridiculous. Randy looks like a toy in his arms. Like He's just too tall. He can't, he can't get that kind of flexibility. The match ends with some shenanigans or run through the end. It's a very short match. There's not many. I've kind of highlighted the only spots, I think, of the match. The match ends when Hulk Hogan comes out and goads Randy to get out the ring and attack him. Not not pulls on Randy, not interferes. Literally goes, hey, Randy, come fight me. And Randy runs out of the ring. Nick Patrick is distracted by the giant and the outsiders kick the crap out of Randy. They push him back into the ring. Giant gets the tree count, which... I, I hate that Giant does no moves to him. I wish Giant had just choke slammed him and got the trick out. Because how suspicious is it as an official if all of a sudden this dead guy is just in the ring? What what, what do you guys think uh, think of this in the finish? I hate the end of that match yeah, for, pretty- for all the reasons I've given up. It's like he's not treated like the way he was even a month ago. So like the match itself is fine, but it doesn't work and I didn't enjoy it. I think I like it a little better than you, Gus. I mean, I do hate the ending as well, but other than that, the crowd really into it. I mean, the crowd were on their feet at the beginning of the match and when they when he did the body slam spot, that might be the pop of the night, I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The only other place that might be is the main event. I can think of one bit, but that's about yeah, it. Possibly. It's hard to tell because the cages surrounding them. I, I, I could yeah. just tell now just because you can see the crowd. Oh, I forgot to mention, the beginning of the match was really funny that Macho comes out with Slim Jims and it's hand, handing them out to fans. <laughs> I have to get that plug in there. And uh, also Giant, he comes out to his dungeon music for some reason and then like the music guy like, Oops, I made the mistake, and then the NWO music like just starts playing randomly. Yeah, I have issues with uh, the music coming into the last match as well. Mostly the absence of it. I, I hate it as well because of how iconic their music is. So I was just like anticipating to hear it, and it wasn't there. I was like, oh. Yeah, they just fucked this up totally for Giant. It sucks. Yeah, big time. It also kind of sucks because you can. he's so young here. And I think you can kind of see it in his eyes. He's just so kind of happy to be on top of the card with all these legendary wrestlers that he probably didn't question any of it he's just along for the ride they could have made him a star and now he just looks like a pleb he just looks like a random nobody i think after this after this match we get uh probably the finest moment of the entire pay-per-view macho man making his slim jim money halloween havoc is sponsored by slim jim's next uh next pay-per-view we're covering it's just a bit of a bizarre kind of halloween-ish promo where he has slim jims i guess do you guys have Slim Jims in uh, Ireland? No. No. No, you don't? We have pepperamis. You're not missing much, by the way. No, they're meat sticks, right? Pretty much, yeah. I never have They're gross. I, it, I never have them. If they're anything like pepperami, then yeah, we're, they're not good. Ah, it's a good, good source of protein. So no wonder he's going to be in the main event of the next pay-per-view. WCW want that Slim Jim money, man. So now we get the cage coming down and we get all the fireworks and... I think the commentary do a pretty good job of putting over the match again. They list some of the demands that, w, uh, that NWO want. And even though there's technically nothing on the line for this match, I think they make it feel quite important. What what, what do you guys think? Or is it just a bit too much of the same from the start of the pay-per-view? I would agree with you, Dave. I think it I think it does a reasonable job. Like, it's not just talking about the NWO again. 
it's kind of more representing look things are a big deal when when they have to be settled but war games I know they, they do it like WWE style with like Hell in a Cell it's like you don't come out the same kind of person after war games I think they do a good job setting it up and especially as it runs into that promo then so all, all these pay-per-views so much have had a mystery hanging over them and the big mystery for this one is all about Sting during the Nitros building up to this Sting attacked Lex Luger, came out of the NWO limo, and they don't know if they can trust Sting anymore. In this promo, big part of it is the reveal. Sting hasn't shown his face for a while. Sting shows up during this promo. We are now just minutes away from the war games, and decision time is here. Ric Flair, which member of the Four Horsemen has been chosen to replace the departed Sting in the war games matchup against the New World Order? Tonight, we are in the house. The Horseman Belt! Sting or no sting! It's Luger! It's Devil A! And it's an HMR! The Horsemen have stepped aside! You hear that, Gene? You hear it? That's the ambulance coming down the highway to get the outsiders! You hear it? That's the medics wheeling in the carts! Very shortly, very shortly, the Horsemen kick ass! Woo! The fact is, Luger, you lost a friend. We lost a partner. WCW lost an icon. But the fact of the matter is, if you want something done right in this life, you were a horseman once. We're just going to do it by ourselves. Sting or no sting? Thanks. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. Wait one second. Start it again, brother. I've been waiting six days for this. I got to hear this, but you better make it short and sweet. All I got is, I'll make it real short. All I got to say is, it was not me on Monday night. It wasn't me, Lex. Well, I'll tell you what. We got a war games right now. I saw you. I looked you right in the face before you cheap shot at me. And Stinger, I know it was you. I can't believe you. And I don't believe you. If you can't believe me, then so be it. I'll see you in a while. I hope we do. Luger! You're a lean, mean wrestling machine. Tonight, we walk the aisle. What did you think of the promo? Ric Flair, I think, back in character. We talked about him being very solemn in the last pay-per-view. We're back to his good old ways for this one. Yeah, it's hard to say because there's a lot that goes into this promo. And this whole angle, it's just hard for me to really analyze. I I thought the promo was was nice. Because when Sting comes into frame, he has his back to the camera, which is kind of important. One, to kind of like make sure you don't really see his face as it's too familiar with the imposter Sting. Because their face paint is a little different if you really look at it. But that's me like freeze framing stuff. So watching this live, you're not going to really notice it, I think. I think this promo is good. I think it does a reasonable job of setting up there how the Horseman and Luger are feeling after the Nitro because they've essentially been betrayed by their, their supposed like best friend. Well, Luger in particular, maybe not Rick. Sting is WCW to a lot of people and he is like the ultimate babyface and the guy who like takes care of all the kids and stuff. And so for when Luger gets beaten up by Sting... It's like the ultimate portrayal for them. As you can see then when when they're talking. And then Sting appears. But he never shows his face to anybody on camera. It kind of furthers the point of like. Oh was it actually Sting that did this? One this is already being really pathetic to Giant. Like we just talked about. Two. 
I have to point this out. This happened on a Monday. The pay-per-view happens on a Saturday or Sunday. And Sting is like, I wanted to tell you that it wasn't me. Sting, it's been six days, man. What have you been doing for six days? <laughs> that you couldn't tell your supposed best friend that you, it wasn't you that beat him up. And, and I don't know why they, they don't tell us the, the reason. They, they do tell us on Nitro. Apparently it was in Japan. I don't know why Sting couldn't tell him that then. Um, but... To even further it, Luger's further assertion is like, I saw it in your eyes. I know it was you. I'm like, what? Uh, not to spoil it a little bit, but the, re- <laughs> the, the main event does have the Sting that attacked Luger. They do a good job of, like, finding somebody, but they do not look like Sting. <laughs> they they messed it, up his hair just the right amount, the right Sting amount as well. It really, really makes Luger look like such a goon. Like, you're meant to, like, really be good well, friends with this guy. My, my favorite part of that is he's like, I don't trust you. I can't trust you after that night. He's like, well, I'm going to be out there. And Luger's like, good. Like, like, I want you to be. He's like, yeah, good. I'm like, what? No, you just said you can't trust him. <laughs> Surely he's like, I want to be out there. You're like, no, I can't trust you. He's like, I can't trust you. Well, I'm going to be out there. Well, yeah, good. What? Yeah, it's like when a waitress goes enjoy your meal and you go yeah you too you can't ever talk to her again you know it's that kind of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just so weird I mean the promo's like fine but this whole storyline is just kind of it's a bit convoluted yeah it's I mean the audience and the crowd it's like brutally honest that like this is a work I mean it doesn't help that like yeah, it was just on a random nitro it kind of helped that like it was dark and the way they filmed it it was far away so it, you can kind of have some belief that is not it could, Sting. Yeah. We, we've already spoiled it a little bit. There, There is an imposter Sting working for the NWO. My favorite bit about the storyline actually is that the imposter Sting does not really change his gimmick ever in his life. The imposter Sting is just a Sting ripoff for his nearly entire wrestling career and is apparently quite successful in Japan as, as NWO Sting. Yeah. Just as yeah. separate from it completely. I think even beyond the NWO era of wrestling, he's like NWO Sting in Japan, which I think is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Well, let's uh, let's go back up a little bit and how this kind of like build up started because there is an awesome promo that's kind of like a State of the Union address for WCW. It's like has the Horseman and, and uh, Luger and Sting, of course. And it's basically saying like they need to put aside their differences because they know what the bigger problem is in WCW. So even though they don't like trust each other, but they have to kind of come and come together because WCW is the common bond, has the history. War Games is created for the Horsemen. So Sting, like, asks for the other two slots because Sting and Luger have the experience because they've been in those kind of matches before. And Benoit and Mongo are still perceived as, like, the rookies. As, as we said, like, Arn tells Sting, you can't worry about the little Stingers. Sting has lived, like, the life of WCW and Flair. He still gives the chance to Benoit and Mongo to step in, but Benoit and Mongo kind of defer since they are the rookies. But Mongo threatens Sting and Luger if they don't bring in their A game. So now the NWO knows, like, if they can get to Sting, they can kind of dismantle WCW. And that's what kind of, like, the whole storyline does make sense from a logic standpoint. Yeah, I like the psychology behind it. And then we're going to talk about it in the next podcast lot. But the follow-on storyline, I think, is really cool. Might be pushed a bit too far. The, the psychology it sows beforehand is great. The idea that there's a fake Sting that wrestles for a long time after this is kind of a little bit weird that he isn't just given a normal identity after the reveal. As much as wrestling nonsense sometimes annoys me, I think this is actually quite well done. I think it's completely stupid knowing that he just continues it, but all right, sure. I'll I'll let you have that one. (laughs) Like, if you watch this pay-per-view and you saw what happened and that there's a sting and a fake sting, you'd assume the fake sting would, like, unmask and just become a normal wrestler. You would be wrong. 
you'd be very wrong about that point. And this man never gets his own personality in his entire career. He at least shows up from time to time for the next like year, essentially, because of the ongoing plotline. So there is a reason for it. Yeah. But it is after that it's a bit dumb that you're like, yeah, there's just a guy who is a fake version of a guy, but he still <laughs> uses all his gimmick. And he even evolves his gimmick to Match. suit the other gimmick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he's um, he he was the original yeah. troll, just the original internet troll. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's great for Jeff Farmer. Jeff Farmer must have made a pretty decent payday. Yeah, for sure. He hung around with the other NBO, NWO guys. Everyone there was paid great. And they were paid great because Scott Hall wanted to make sure you were paid the most. So he he was paid the most. It's great incentive, isn't it? It is great incentive. So the match itself is the first ever full War Games I've watched. I've, I've heard a lot of War Games stories and I've seen a lot of clips. I'm going to get this off my chest. The War Games itself has an inherent flaw. And it's probably why it isn't continued in any platform at the moment. So essentially, for those of you who have never seen one, it's two rings side by side in a normal kind of steel cage, but surrounds both the rings. At the start of the match, there's four people teams. At the start of the match, there's two people in, uh, one from either team. After five minutes, they say it's randomly decided by coin flip. A member of one of the teams comes out and it's three people in the ring, so it becomes a handicap match. Then it becomes matched by the other team after I think it's a minute after the initial five, or two minutes after the initial five minutes. Then two minutes pass, it becomes a two-on-two match. And so on and so forth till everyone's out. But it means that one team, every time there's an odd number of people in the ring, is going to have an advantage. And it's always the same team getting the odd uh, amount of people in. But as this has been pointed out by people, it's 99% of the time the heels have the number advantage. Because it's not a very face thing to two-on-one people. It's inherently face-ish to make comebacks against odds and help your teammates out and that's what happens when you're two on three and a third person comes you know so there's only kind of one way to book this match and it happens again and again and it's a fun zany different match but it's very formulaic again and again and again and i've just kind of told you the whole plot of the match coming up that's exactly what kind of happens it's funny because i thought when you said there's a flaw i thought you were going to talk about the fact that it's really awkward and costly to have two rings in a pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a lot of costly things that the WCW do, but yeah, this is one of them. At least I didn't spend money on the cage. That thing looks flimsy as all. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's like the first thing I've written down. The cage looks like it couldn't take anyone, you know, leaning weight on it. Now, they do a lot of throw a guy against a cage bump. The part of the cage facing the the ramp looks like it's going to fall down. The, Kevin Nash gets thrown against it at one stage. I'm like, oh, this match is going to have to get cancelled in a few seconds. <laughs> of course, the NWO win the flip, so they get the numbers advantage through the whole yeah. game. Cause... Before you go any further, David, just wanted to point out, this one is different from other war games in the sense because the teams are held in the back. So you don't actually see the teams because in other war games... The guys are actually sitting at ringside and they're waiting to go in. Whereas this one is, they're all in the back so you can build up the tension about who the fourth members are for each team. Both teams have kept their fourth member secret. Uh, Ric Flair in the promo beforehand, we didn't mention this, said they might only have three people. They don't need more people, which is stupid. That's that's a bad idea, Rick. It's a real bad idea. The, the match is structured so the last people are a secret. The NWO won't reveal who's, uh, who's out last. You know, it's the whole who will sting team with we start off uh with michael buffer introducing the match breaking down the rules like i did and just 
introducing the first two people who are Scott Hall and Arn Anderson, who probably have the best cardio out of the two teams, so it makes a lot of sense. It's weird that Buffer, he stands at ringside instead of in the ring, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want to waste his time getting in and out of the ring. It's it's beneath him. Yeah, it makes sense. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like the opening to the match. I, did, I, I was saying this to uh, Connor before the podcast started. I'd kind of like just to see some Arn versus Scott proper one-on-one matches. No shenanigans, just a proper one-on-one match. I, I think they're two very good wrestlers. Arn's probably a bit past it at this stage, but... Yeah, Hall, is he's hes a star now. Like, I said on the Bash the Beach episode that, I mean, I just didn't realize of how good Scott Hall was. The last NWO promo before this pay-per-view, he is he's so good in it. Obviously, it helps that you have Ted DiBiase in the promo to carry it as well, so there's less shitty Hogan in it, and... I don't know what Kevin Nash does in these promos. He he just kind of screams high pitch. He's like, "Hey, I like it or not?" Like he just does this like random shit that like Kev is just all about being cool and getting is all, that like cool? well <laughs> attempting to be cool and getting all the sound bites, but a lot of it falls flat. Uh, it's whatever. terrible. Yeah. But like, but Hall, but Hall, he delivers it so cool, so just confident in his speaking ability. Like, holy shit, I didn't think he was that good. Yeah, check out the NWO promo right before this. Probably my favorite NWO promo so far. Yeah, Hall is really good, and he's not like an, a hugely outspoken guy compared to who he hangs out with. His career was cut short by his, let's call it demons, that he's recovering from uh, up, up until today. So it's it's a shame. Besides Shawn Michaels, he's probably the most talented member of the clique, right? Probably natural talent-wise, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Hunter is probably a much harder worker and got further in the career. Yeah. If... Hall would have stayed sober. I think he would have had an insane, insane career. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's a what if, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I guess it's, but I, guess I, it's I do if. agree with you, Dave, that these two guys are the, the correct people to start with. One thing that I think that points, like, separates Hall, I know this is kind of weird, but it, it does stick out in wrestling in particular, is because he doesn't shave his chest and he <laughs> actually has body hair. Yeah. And it's the same with Arn. The two of them, like, they're the only two guys that I can think of, like, that have, like, barrel chests and they're like proper hairy guys but they they stand out because of it and it like kind of sets them apart a bit they look like tough guys other guys yeah. look like bodybuilders i've seen bodybuilders i've seen bodybuilders that aren't like particularly strong they're just kind of muscular these guys look like tough in the bar crack your head open kind of guys you know what i mean yeah they look the part but both wrestlers they, they talk the part as well yeah aren't some awesome promos oh, they back that- it up yeah both of them are just like no, none of them are amazing at anything. They're just really solid at every aspect of wrestling, and I, I really like both these guys. And it means we get five minutes of halfway decent wrestling before War Games really takes part. Nash is the next one in the ring, of course. A bit of two on one work, and then we get Lex in. We get like it's it's a bit like tag matches, like hot tags. Every time a face comes in after there's been an extra heel, the face you know gets the momentum gets there a couple things the problem with this this match also is everyone in it is quite big and the cage is actually not that big it's kind of low so we see someone trying to do like a scoop slam at one stage and he has to readjust halfway through because the legs are just hitting the roof so the only moves we see after hall and Arn are alone in the ring the whole match is just punches 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 rest hold punches 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 throw you against the cage throw you against the cage throw you against the cage it's the entire match, and it gets really tedious. Crowd's eating it up, though. They're going yeah, mental. the crowd fucking loves this. They love it. The crowd love it. They get to pop for all their favorite guys. Next, we get Hogan, 
who gets a mixed, but I think mostly booze, but I do agree, kind of mixed at this stage. Hogan also just runs out before the timer's up. So the other guys waited for the 10 count. There is a 10 count. Hogan just sprints out and gets into the cage two seconds before the count is over. Flair is out next. He also runs out before the counter is over, but only gets into the ring when the count is over. Flair again, love it. He's the good guy, but gets so many pops. He throws three low blows in the first 10 seconds he's in the ring. So many pops for it. And then, and then both him and Arn do a leg drop to the crotch of someone while Lex Luger is doing atomic drops to the other guy. A comment up to this point before the uh, secret wrestlers come out. No one's come out to music, and that really irritated me. I think the pops could have been bigger if you would have gone, you know, if the NWO music hits or, you know, Luger's music hits. And especially people are listening out for Sting's music. They want Sting's music to hit. And that's super important and would, you know, get massive reactions. But they're all just coming out to silence. I don't know if it's audio problems or a choice, but I, I hated it. I was kind of disappointed, too, with the first two wrestlers. Why not? I mean... I can maybe understand it because you don't want to hear the NWO music that many times. But yeah, for the first two wrestlers, you should hear some. I mean, I feel cheated because we don't get to hear the Horseman music. I mean, it sucks. Yeah, loads. A lot of times, like, we never get to hear it because we hear, like, for some reason, Benoit's music. He has, like, different own music as well. Yeah. It's only when they come out together as a group that Yeah, because Flair yeah. doesn't come out to it at all. Uh, so then the fourth member of the NWO comes out and he is, can't believe it's not Sting, co- comes out. Also a bit early, we get the whole, oh my god, he's turned, what a bastard. Crowd do not buy it at all. Within a few seconds of Sting being in, he's doing all Sting spots, the Stinger splashes and woos and beating his chest. Um, The crowd, you hear sections of the crowd chanting, we want Sting. I have to give credit to uh, Jeff Farmer. He does a pretty good impression of Sting. He does, yeah, for sure. Doesn't get quite the, uh, the leap that he needs for the stinger splash maybe he doesn't have quite the athleticism if you will but uh he tries hard he does get gas very quickly yeah <laughs> he, he gets real tired trying to do all those splashes but it, it's pretty reasonable and like like you said the crowd obviously knows what's up and for the most part they filmed it pretty decently in a way they've never shown like too many close-ups of him yeah, so you yeah. never really except like when he comes out to the ring you kind of get a close-up of him which slightly ruins it i mean everybody yeah, knows they- by this point I think they do a decent job of hiding it from the at-home audience, but the crowd, the crowd there are not buying it. Then, of course, next person in is Real Sting. Ten, Who can this be? Nine, Who can this be? Eight, seven, seven, here we go, guys. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What the? That, it's Sting. That is Sting. That is Sting. Oh, yes. Get on him, baby. He was telling the truth. We've got two Oh, yes! He was telling the truth! Okay, now clean house! Go to work! Get the nature boy! Get the enforcer! Get moving! Start kicking some butt! Come on, Sting! Come on, Luger! Concentrate on Hogan! He's the one we've got to stop! And stop now! There it is! There yes. it is! Stinger Splash! Yes. He's got them both! No question the elevation of those Stinger Splashes! That is Sting! He is doing it single-handedly. Sting, single-handedly. He laid him out. You bet. He has taken the NWO to the water trough. Can you imagine? And they didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. Well, you look at this now. Confrontation. Sting just had words with Luger. Is that good enough for you right there? Wow. Is that proof enough? Not now. Not now. He just told him to 
stick it. He said, is that good enough for you? And he's leaving. I didn't like it in the moment, but I think looking back on it now is quite a good touch. What do you think of it, Gus? What do you think of Sting just leaving out of frustration? I love it. I, I think it's great. I, I just love it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I can't believe you didn't trust me because it does build up on a lot of past WCW history and it does pay off for a lot of longtime fans because Sting has been that guy literally 18 times over his career thanks to like Flair and Luger and everybody else. Everybody else has turned on him and he's been the one person that's always stayed faithful and he's never lied and he's never done this and he's never done that. And when it finally comes to it that it looks like he might have turned and been the bad guy, they all just assume, oh yeah, he's done. And just ignore all of his past history. And so when he comes out and he does it, and he's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I've done nothing but be the honourable guy. And I still get screwed over it. And I still look like a dick. You guys can do it by yourselves. And he's totally justified in what he does. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching that promo the, the next night because uh, I think this is really really well set up it's almost perfect yeah the promo's yeah. awesome this those whole moments awesome I think we'll do that in the Nitro recap next time because it's it's that good yeah. and yeah I fucking love it too I mean as far as like a booking standpoint I think it's I think it's great yeah I liked yeah. it a lot it gives gives the faces a reason to lose because again you have to break the flow because the last face will come in hot and knock everyone out with their signature moves so you need a chance for the heels to get back on top which they, of course, do with the numbers advantage. They beat up on the WCW for a while, and then NWO Sting gets the Scorpion Deathlock. And he does a, he does a nice start Scorpion Deathlock, I think. It was a lot better than uh, The Rock's Scorpion Deathlock, which is atrocious. <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> it's, the wor- it's the worst thing of all time. That happens, and of course, because Hogan needs to be involved in every finish of every match of all time, he Hogan slaps a f- front face lock on Luger at the same time. And Luger passes out, losing them the match. Finish, I thought, was fine, except, as I said, there was no reason for Hogan to be involved. He doesn't even do, like, a front face lock for normal moves. Uh, One thing we haven't really mentioned is Nick Patrick's kind of involvement with these matches. I mean, we mentioned a little bit in the Giants match, but he was the referee in this match. At one point, like, in the beginning of the match, I think he, like threatens to call the match or something like that and the commentator's like oh he can't do that and i mean i guess he had something to do with this finish i mean although it it does seem like luger's like pretty much done so i don't know if it's really a screwy finish by patrick instead although he does kind of celebrate with the nwo so it's just he you can tell he's like fully in in the group now right i think this goes on for another while to be honest it does. This whole storyline is so weird. I think what you said, Gus, is like there's too much going on, so that's kind of why the giant angle got yeah. overshadowed. And I think the same thing goes for the Nick Patrick stuff. Yeah, I think it might it might just be a bit too long in the tooth before it kind of gets realized. But to be fair, they try and mask it a little bit. Like, he does fuck up other people's matches that have nothing to do with the NWO. But uh, yeah, I do think it's, it's kind of overshadowed. Other than the fact that he's grown his goatee. I don't think I would have really noticed all that much about it. <laughs> yeah, th- this one's weird. Like, it is alluded to a little bit that maybe, you know, Lex never gave up, so is he supposed to call it? Though that thing I think you're referring to at the start of the match is just a fuck-up. The referee's just saying typical referee stuff. Like, I'll give up, we can call the match. Though that's not the rule of the match. And the commentators just know that the camera picked it up, so they're trying to make up something. To make it not look is like it, a, I, I, I buy that. I thought War Games ended when uh, 
you had to give up. It's a sub, it's like a it's an I quit style yeah, finish. But you, yeah, you can't yeah. until everyone's in the ring. Oh sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so this was when it was just Hall and uh, Aaron and Hall had him like choking on the ropes a little bit or something. One, that's a rope break, so he could not give up. That's just something else. But two, the ref is just you know typical ref nonsense saying things, and he just said, "Come on, I can I can ring the bell now if you want, Aaron." But he can't because that's not the rules in the match. So I think the ref just fucked up in commentary. We're trying to make up a backstory to his fuck up so it didn't sound bad. Yeah, Dave, you bring up the two points though I don't like about this match. I mean, I need to watch the old like classic War Games matches to like fully get my. I, I wish I got to watch them, but the match also doesn't really work because you have to wait for everybody to get in the, in the ring to finish. So it just kind of like, why are we waiting around for everybody to come in? The rules are a little bit convoluted. As far as a match, it was very boring. Although I was very entertained throughout though, just because of the storyline aspect. So I thought it was fine. Yeah, like the previous ones are generally to try and blow off feuds and they're normally quite long feuds and stuff like that i mean flair's been in quite a lot of them the adding the members bit by bit is to kind of represent like all the building like blood feud and like guys can get their time alone with people and so on so you mentioned blood feuds uh, do you think that there needed to be more nasty kind of like chairs or i don't even want to like bring in blood to it because i don't think wcw was going to do that i don't think they have really blood in their company but do you think this match needed to be nastier there is a really nasty one I can't remember who it's between, but essentially they get to the outside of the cage and someone's holding someone's head against like the door of the cage and they're telling the team captain, you better give up, you better give up. The guy doesn't give up and they just like smash the door closed on the guy's head and I think it hard weighs him and then the team gives up after the smash happens. I think it's another one involving Ric Flair. So these can get quite brutal. This is a really tame one. Right, does that hurt the match or not? I think it, do- I think it does. I think that the whole main event... Of this pay-per-view and every pay-per-view we've looked at so far hinges on a surprised story of what's going to happen. I think their wrestling has been quite medium in all of them. And not to the they're bad wrestlers, that they're not even trying. It's like super basic matches just with a really good story behind them. Well, this is just establishing their pay-per-view mantra, essentially. This is what you're going to get used to, Dave. Yeah, I, I, I figured. <sighs> Good wrestling in the undercard, and guys stinking up the joint in the top, but it's all the big plot, so that's it makes all the money. It frustrates me more when there's good people in the match. So this match started off good with Aaron and Scott, and then the minute other people entered the ring, they're like, these people don't want to actually wrestle. So uh, we, we've we've covered the uh, the end of the match, but after the match is, is when everything kicks off. They actually have this really nice spot, where the commentary are really concerned with Lex. They're doing the beatdown of the other members. They're really concerned with Lex. Lex is rolled out of the ring as the cage raises up. And Lex starts crawling up the ramp. Starts kind of shouting for uh, for Sting. He's like, Stinger, Stinger. And he's like, oh my god. And then the NWO come and beat him up. Out of nowhere comes Macho to even the numbers. But it doesn't work out. And they beat up the uh, WCW. They have Macho in the ring. He gets lured, he tries to chase Hogan, but then Giant comes out and it all falls apart for WCW. We never get to see where the other members of WCW go, but they end up just beating up Macho in the ring and they go to spray paint him. But Elizabeth comes out to try and protect him. They spray paint Elizabeth's back as she's trying to shield Macho and then they spray paint Macho. One thing that annoyed me a little bit about this was Hulk Hogan signs people when he sprays on them, NWO, HH. And I think that's so stupid. So far, it's all felt about the NWO organization. And we'll see a couple times in the kind of speech that Hogan gives after this about how much of a scumbag Randy Savage is. He calls it the NWO and Hulk Hogan. 
as if he's above them, and that really bugged me. What, what, what about you guys? What did you think of this closing segment? Uh, th- this whole ending sequence, it goes on a little bit too long, as typical as NWO. The promo was okay. Like I said, Hogan promos are pretty mediocre by this point. Spitting on Liz, I was not expecting something like that. I didn't think Hogan would go to that length to get that kind of heat. Yeah, he's getting pretty atomic heat at this stage. How about you, Gus? What did you think of this uh, ending sequence? I think it's fair to say you, you get a bit surprised by Elizabeth showing up and actually doing that whole deal. And it, it really does get it across quite well how, like, oh my god, they're really, really beating the crap out of him. And that Elizabeth, who's not even, like, meant to be interacting with him, is like, no, please, I have my past with him, please don't. I do agree with Connor. It goes a bit too long. I, I get it. You're trying to set up Halloween Havoc. You gotta sell the next pay per view somehow to all those people who aren't gonna watch Nitro, I guess. I don't think I minded it that much. Like, Elizabeth's stuck in the ring with them and they, like, spit on her and spray paint her, and that's already a lot. I'm like, okay, you're not, like, just picking her up and doing a bunch of finishers on her, like, other places. ECW did at this stage. But then at one stage, she's, like, cowering in the corner. And both Giant and Kevin Nash just get really close to her. I'm like, this got really rapey out of nowhere, guys. This is... Yeah, and, and they needed the ref to protect her. It, it was very weird and awkward. Yeah. Like, make fun of Macho. Make her uh, make her watch as you choke Sam him once and then, like, throw her out of the ring. Don't corner her with the two seven-footers. We also, after this, we get... Uh, it goes back to the commentary, and I did like this moment... And they're all very genuinely concerned for Elizabeth, but not concerned enough to go help her, apparently. I, I think part of, um, I think why it doesn't work so quite so well as well is that Elizabeth is not exactly the best actor you'll ever see in the world. At least this is where she shines, though. She can yeah. be very sy- sympathetic, and especially just because she has a history with Randy. And then the WCW starts to walk over, and Brain is out of there so fast. <laughs> he just gets the hell out of there as fast. Dusty kind of lingers and is like, whatever. Brain is gone. He plays his character really well. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm having no part of this. You know, my job is to commentate. I like that Giant tried to cut a promo three times. And each time the headphones fell off so no one could hear him. Yeah, I, I meant to bring this up earlier. I wonder how many headsets WCW wasted because of... <laughs> <laughs> MWO taking over the booth. There's so many times where they, they mess up the headsets, they break them. I assume they break them because they throw them on the ground as hard as they... Headsets, they're not the... Uh... They're fragile. Yeah, they're pretty fragile. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Nash just also talking through all of them because he can't hear the rest of them talk because he's put the headphones on fully. Giant, again, as you guys said, trying to mount along with Hulk Hogan but not knowing the line fully. Yeah, pretty much all we see is Macho getting helped out by the medical staff and, yeah, roll credits. Yeah, also, it does not make much sense, I, I think, again, that WCW, just none of them come out and help. We, we get it later, and in modern takes of NWO and a lot of Japanese takes of this gimmick, when this happens to one of your, like, champions, a bunch of people come out to help. Now, usually they also get their ass kicked one by one, and the heels stand tall, but someone comes to help, not just Elizabeth. And then no one helps Elizabeth but this tiny referee. Yeah, so it doesn't make too much sense to me. Guys, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts as an overall rated pay-per-view. And of course, at the end, are you on the NWO side or are you on Team WCW? Gus, let's go to you first. I was really hoping that this would be much better than Hogwilds because Hogwild was rough. It's actually not that much better, I don't think. It really mm. lags at the start of the pay-per-view. And I was like, really worried it was going to be one of those 
a really really poor show and I was like oh no the two Chris's kind of rescue it followed by Ray and Super Calo and things kind of get better then as people have no more they're just more knowledgeable about who's involved the pay-per-view itself has a problem with its uh, the roster like we've kind of hinted at it kind of get rescues itself with the NWO storyline and that kind of sense I really don't like how they've treated Giant. Big negative for me. The main event is much better. Like it's 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 leaps and bounds better than uh, than Hogan Giant because there's at least actual wrestling this time, and it's not just a bunch of shitty stalling. But it's still quite popular. At the end of the day, it's not a great pay per view. Honestly, if I could really pick, I would pick Sting's side because he is the one <laughs> that is honestly takes the best course of action over this pay-per-view and I think it's going to be good for him going forward. But of the other two, it's it's still NWO. They're still in charge. They're taking over. Okay, how about you, Connor? What, what do you think? What do you think of the pay-per-view and are you on Team WCW or NWO? Uh, man, I, I have a very different reaction from Gus. Uh, I, I said I watched this pay-per-view twice. I actually thought it was a very easy watch. Good matches, love the direction of WCW being in disarray storyline. They just really have no leadership now that uh, Sting is kind of leaving now. So for that reason, I, I'm actually on WCW side for the first time. Like, they've really hit their low point. I really want to see them regroup and get those damn NWO guys. So it just, I, I think this is also NWO at its peak. I don't really like where it goes from after here. Not spoilers. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but I think it really starts to slide and we'll have more on that on, on the next episode. But I thought we had decent matches this time and I thought it was way, way step ahead of Hogwild uh, for that. And I, I just like the storyline better because we didn't really get that much storyline from Hogwild. It just seemed like a very throwaway pay-per-view. And if I had to give this rating, I would maybe be given an eight like i think it might be oh, wow. better than bash wow. as a whole i mean not as like iconic sense i mean bash of course had the ray psychosis match and the iconic turn but like the pay-per-view as a whole with better matches i mean jericho debuting also kind of gets me like really excited about this so mm. i guess that's why i would give this a thumbs up from here i think i fall in between both of you guys i think that i'm not as high on uh, as connor was i still think it's better than Hogwild by a decent amount, but I think Hogwild is a really low measuring stick. I think I really enjoy both the middle matches, the Benoit, Jericho match, the Ray Kylo match, and I think I'm going to give it a bit of a higher rating because I enjoyed the main event story, even though it was a weak match. I could recognize it was a weak match, and I still enjoyed it. I, I think that the only match I really dislike is maybe the Giant match, but it's not terrible. And I really dislike the Conan match just because of how botchy it is. But everything else is like passable, which is again more than what I can say for the, for the last pay-per-views matches. As for what side I'm on, it has to be WCW without any question. You can't spit on Elizabeth. That's just not cool, man. And Hulk, Hulk is really getting under my skin. Every other member of NWO, I can understand wanting to be like the anti kind of hero and supporting them. Hulk Hogan's just such a scumbag. It's like it's his real... Per- it's like he just gets to play his real personality in real life now. But again, I think I might just be a little bit biased. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of WCW versus NWO Podcast. If you want to contact us, you can get us under that title on Twitter or Facebook. You can always check the podcast out on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. Next episode will be Halloween Havoc, where we get to see a Loch Ness Monster show up for Halloween. So excited for that one. Until next time, from myself, Dave C., Fergus Looney, Connor O'Donnell. We'll see you next time.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps it up here in Winston-Salem, by God. Now that we've proven that we're the best there is, you know, we made some demands. Well, we want every one of them honored. That's right, no more outsiders. The NWO for life.